0: What's up, guys? If you're on Spotify right now, please follow the show so that you don't miss any future episodes and leave a five-star review. Thank you
1: on the outskirts of Manu National Park, this guy, local guy, started going into the jungle and, like, leaving them piles of bananas. Because they're, they're hunter-gatherers. They don't they're have they don't have metal. They missed out on the wheel. They've never held a spoon. These are people that are out there. And so he'd leave them a machete and some bananas, and they'd come take it. And then after, like, a year, he would start being there when they came to take it. And then after some time, he was actually able to interact with them. And he couldn't, he could only speak a few words of their language. This what one do they on, speak? They're called the Mashkupiro tribe. And so they speak some sort of, uh, some dialect of the Yine language but this guy who was interacting with them one day they found him they call it porcupine arrows sticking up out of his body like several arrows we don't know why they killed him rosalie good
0: to see you man welcome back Thanks you for were here me. once. Yeah, I was just here with Ryan from VetPaw. And we I, I didn't even know you were coming that weekend. And so I would have just done both that weekend. Yeah. But I like how this worked out. Because now we yeah. put out that podcast. Yeah. We spread them out a little bit. Because you guys are doing really cool shit on opposite ends of the globe as well.
1: Yeah, and listening to you guys that day, I learned a lot about Ryan. I got to see how you roll. That was cool. I actually enjoyed just listening to that. That was nuts.
0: Yeah, it, it was actually it was, it was a different vibe. Because we had... You left the studio after like 40 minutes and we're sitting right out there. But we had like four people in here at one point. And then we had on the side like the commentary. I've never had that before where like Mm -hmm. someone can like add something Mm -hmm. in there. It's fucking awesome. So the question I had asked on that one right when we introduced you at Mm -hmm. the front because you were sitting in here was what the fuck makes you want to get eaten? by an Anaconda. <laughs> I, I really need this cleared it's, up and everyone else does too.
1: <laughs> it's so crazy that I got and that's that's a perfect lead in because it's so crazy that that has become such a, such a huge thing because I have spent the last 17 years, my entire adult life doing one thing, trying to protect the tributary of the Amazon rainforest. That's mm. it. And so when Discovery Channel came in, I think I was early 20s maybe 22, 24 years old and they said, look um, we want to do a documentary about anacondas. And I said, cool, we'll show you all the science. We'll show you how ecologically relevant they are. We'll do everything. And they said, that's awesome. They said, but it's not enough. They were like, we, <laughs> we, want, we want more. Blood. And I was like, what do you want? Like anacondas with tits on them? Like, well, how, do, how do you want to take this? And they were like, <laughs> we, they, were, they, were, they were flying me to LA. They were talking about it a lot. And then finally one guy goes, you know, how many people have been eaten by an anaconda? And I said, I mean, the only person I personally know that got eaten by an anaconda was my, my friend's father-in-law. Was he alive? To, No, he got eaten by an anaconda. I was going to say, I
0: didn't know if he did it like you did. No, no, no. no.
1: (laughs) Only one person (laughs) did what I did. No, he got got legitimately real-world nature eaten. He went down to the river. He was drunk at night, and he tried to get a drink. Never came back. They looked for him. Everybody was partying. In the morning, they went looking for him, and there was an anaconda. And they can't dive when they've just eaten. So there's this huge anaconda with a human-shaped lump in its body. Oh. So he actually got eaten by a snake.
0: What an awful way to
1: go. That's a terrible way to go. I've come extremely close to that. I got Once I got wrapped, we were trying to study the snake. We are trying to measure it. I got wrapped. And the thing is, you grab it by the head. You got to control the head. And then it wraps my arms. And now my forearms are pinned together. And then it wraps my shoulders. And now my collarbone, my shoulders are coming closer together as this snake's coils are coming in. This is like a 300-pound snake. And How long? This is about a 17-foot snake. Jeez huge snake we're talking like thicker than a basketball like dinner plate sized all the way down this thing's wrapped me i'm losing oxygen i'm trying to scream for my friends nothing's coming out and so these guys are running in just as my collarbones are about to crack they grab the tail and the only way to unwrap it is to grab the tail i still have the head but I was completely out of control. If they didn't show up, that snake would have crushed every bone in my body and then gone back in the water. He wasn't trying to Holy kill me, shit. but he was going to remove the threat. I mean, as, as the researcher, I had to control the snake. And so he was viewing that as that I was attacking him. She was viewing it. Actually, it was a female anaconda. The females, they have sexual dimorphism, So the females are significantly larger than the males with anacondas.
0: Really? I didn't know anything about that. But th- this wasn't your idea. I didn't know that. This was this was their idea. Well, I was telling them all this shit, and then
1: they, they came in, and they went, well, what if you prove to everybody that it can be done? And I was like, why do we need to prove that it can be done? And they were like, how great would that be? And so then they the started this conversation where they were like, look, if you get eaten by an anaconda, we'll give you a two-hour special, <laughs> multimillion-dollar budget. You could talk about all the nature tree hugger shit you want to talk about, but at the end you got to do this stunt and they go it's just hiding the vegetables he goes you bring people in for the meat and the cheese he goes but just hide the hide the hide the research he goes we'll give it to them and i said okay i said fuck it i'll do it
0: now you you went in there though this is the crazy part about the strength of the anaconda <laughs> yeah obviously it's not like for people listening who haven't seen this maybe i can we'll see if i can put it in the corner of the screen if they're yeah. not going to demonetize it but like you're not going in there just like, "Hey, I'm here, eat me. You're going in there with like a full suit and everything yeah, like what they, did, what did they put you in?
1: They put me in this crazy ass like Kevlar suit um, with a you know breathing apparatus and communication device, and so I had oxygen involved in case the snake actually ate me. The stupidity of this stunt cannot be overstated. <laughs> This is a moronic idea that we knew there was a one in a million chance it was going to work, and it was mostly to bring in the viewers to teach them about the ecology of the Amazon. Because how do you make protecting trees sexy? How do you get Mm. the public to pay attention to the fact that we're destroying the natural world? So this was done out of pure frustration and insanity. I said, if this is what it takes to get those ratings, to get all those
0: people to look, then I'll do it. Did you talk with, or did they have you talk with, like, experts who said, here's the percentage chance that even with our team all there to come in, here's the chance you don't make it out alive. Like, was oh, there sure. anything like that?
1: Oh, my God, yeah. They went through all of this stuff, Um, you know. And the thing is, with a snake, no snake wants to harm you. You know, if you're dealing with a kid, if there was a king cobra in the room right now, really? it would, we would be in no danger. Really? Absolutely not. Rattlesnakes have a rattle, so they can rattle and say, don't step on me. Cobra has a hood so it can hood up and say, back off. Don't make me do this. And that's what they're saying. That's that's why they have oh. those warning systems. And so, an anaconda, if it's in the room, it's going to find the darkest spot. It's going to look for water and it's going to go there. They're not aggressive animals. They don't usually view humans as prey. It has to be the right situation. It's like when people get attacked by coyotes. It's like, well, it has to be starving coyotes in a situation where they're, you know, they don't have any other food option.
0: And so. Um, a question though why wouldn't they view humans as prey? Because. I know less about what an anaconda likes, but yeah. I do know the whole concept of they try to eat something big, they stick it in yeah. their stomach, and then it can last them for months. So yeah. what what's not to love about a human?
1: I mean, look, an anaconda is a very simple animal. It's going to sit in a swamp and wait for predators. And actually, we've been doing research in the Amazon that, that has shown us that they're not just ambush predators. They actually are going after prey. They're going along stream mm. systems into the forest looking for prey. But an anaconda has grown up eating what? It's eating fish. It's eating crocodiles, in it's eating birds, it's eating small mammals. And the thing with anacondas is they start at a very small length. You're talking about like 16 inches. You're talking about a little snake that a heron could eat. Mm. And baby caimans are eating the anacondas. And so they're actually feeding the ecosystem as well as being predators in the ecosystem. And so they, most animals have a certain niche where they exist. So like a jaguar is going to eat jaguar food. Mm-hmm. A bird is going to eat you know fish, insects, whatever. Um, an anaconda starting small and then they're turning into this apex predator. So they have this disproportionately massive effect on the entire food chain of the Amazon.
0: How long does it take them to go from baby anaconda to say like 15 feet or something? Depends how much food they have. If you mm. feed
1: a baby anaconda regularly every week, that anaconda is starting on frogs and then going up to rabbits and then going up to capybara and then pulling down a taper once in a while. I mean, that anaconda is going to grow into a dragon. Wow. Very quick, especially if it's a female. The males, you get like 11 feet. Females, you're talking about 23 26 feet Jesus like huge Christ. snakes heaviest I mean, Yours was snake still 17 right my ours was we, we caught a we caught an 18 18 foot six inch snake that's a six meter snake 220 pounds and she was on an empty stomach.
0: Okay, so you co- you guys went and caught it? In the Amazon, yeah. And then you put it, like, walk me through what they did. So, you put it in a space, and then you just walked in with pig's blood all over the suit or something?
1: No. We went down to the Amazon, we did our research, we caught this huge snake, and then it became clear to us that we're like, we're not going to put a wild animal through this thing, so we wanted to work in a controlled environment. So the end of that show, and this is where the controversy all, in, all came up, was that the end of that show was filmed in the U.S. They just... They had tight shots. It's total bullshit. I mean, Discovery Channel—they've had documentaries trying to convince uh, people that mermaids are real. And so, at the end of this it's um, most Hollywood thing ever, it was absolutely awesome, um, awful.
0: Where um, in the U.S. LA.
1: I forget what state we we're in. I want to say like Tennessee or something.
0: So they just brought in anaconda. They just
1: brought in this huge anaconda that some guy named Larry had in his basement. <laughs> I'm not, Jim, not making this up. I'm not making this up. I wish I was. And then they're like, dude, get suited up. It takes like an hour to get suited up. And then this poor snake's laying in the mud, and it's like, I want to go. I want to I go like relax. The snake wants to go be hidden, be safe. And uh, you know, I walk up to it, and the snake's just like, I have no interest in this. And like, I picked up the snake, and she's, you know, she's flicking her tongue. She's like, what's going on? And I was like, hey, nothing. And I was like, do you want to eat me? Like, it was just the stupidest thing in the world. So what I was planning was that... You're wearing
0: a full suit, though. You're wearing right? a full suit. You're wearing this you crazy suit.
1: No, and also they wanted to have like a, a link between the head and the shoulders so that the snake could slip over my body. Again, what are the odds of this happening? You know, and so what... It It, it really speaks to how broken the wildlife entertainment industry is that like we can't get ratings for... A legitimate wildlife film, but they'll put all of their resources into something where some guy gets eaten by a snake and mm-hmm. then pull all of the ecological information out of that film.
0: Now, you were talking, as you said, you were mic'd up during yep. this whole thing, though. Yep. So when you watch the scene, and of course they like dramatize all the angles and yep. everything, but it actually is like, I mean, you, you're getting fucking squeezed by an I don't comment.
1: know, man. I was in like a bulletproof suit. I mean, you could like, you could hit me with a two by four and I would have been fine. So, like, dealing with a snake, and I mean, I deal with snakes every day with my, with no clue, you, you know, no shirt right. on. Um, dealing with this with a Kevlar suit and a visor and all this stuff. I mean, what's going to happen? But it's still,
0: it was crushing because it's so at, strong. At one
1: point, it was wrapped around me. But again, this is a heavy amount of movie magic. I mean, there was there was not a lot of authenticity to this. And that's why really? when this film came, when this film, and I'm calling it a film, not a documentary, <laughs> when this shit came out, um, I was supposed to do, I think, Good Morning America the next day. And I watched this in my hotel room and... I went I am not promoting this and they had one of the Discovery Channel handlers call me and they were like look if you're about to go on national TV and not be part of the narrative then we're going to have some legal conversations and I was like but I it, we had a we had a bit of a thing so now I've that's I split with Discovery Channel after that because it was absolute bullshit
0: because and, you were in there and and you sit like on the on the scene yeah. or in the scene you're like oh shit it's it has my arm pin I got to get out was that all like I mean it was at the point where i'd been in the suit for hours and they're like that was hours in." it was hours
1: in because they're like the snake doesn't care and then they're like have somebody put the snake on him they're like lay in the mud let's put the snake i mean it was pathetic it was absolutely crazy and so a few (laughs) things happened um the mainstream media was pissed that i that they called it eaten alive and i didn't get eaten alive because the average person wanted to see a dude get eaten by an anaconda (laughs) the Peter, you were in
0: its mouth though
1: right i wasn't i no? wasn't it never even bit it was just she, wrapped she never even you. actually bit me intentionally okay um pita was up in arms because it was animal abuse apparently rolling on the mud with an anaconda is harming it somehow okay. still not sure about that one and then the scientific community um in the conservation world was like this kid's clearly a moron <laughs> and i lost a ton of job opportunities and like sort of professional contacts because people were like you have no respect for animals and so all of, the, all of the research that we were doing, all the conservation work, all of the relating anacondas as an apex predator to mercury contamination in the Amazon, all that stuff got thrown out. They threw, that sucks. Yeah. They changed our voices to say different things on the film. I mean, yeah, it was, it was there. We got hoodwinked hard. And then I ended up taking the shit for it, being on Jimmy Kimmel. And he was like, maybe for your next stunt, you could have sex with a hippo. <laughs> and I had this zinger about like, yeah, it was better than your wife. And I was like, let me just not Ooh. say that. Yeah. oh, um, That would have been cut from, well, <laughs> from the edit, for sure. <laughs> But no, it it really, uh, so I had to go out and smile for the cameras while we were just getting stripped of all the good science that we'd done. And so, uh, yeah, that one didn't end well. But I tried. And that. You
0: tried, yeah. Yeah,
1: you tried. And you hear these people, you hear like these, you know, you hear like Goggins or something talking about like, you just got to accept failure. Any CEO, they'll be like, just accept failure. I mean, Churchill said, what's the. Definition, you know, you got to go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And it's like, dude, I took a big swing.
0: This was a while ago now. Too. This was this a is while like twenty fourteen, but yeah. people
1: still bring it up. I just got denied for an environmental like conservation award because they, I was in the final running, I was in the top three people for a major award. And they went, "Are you the guy that got eaten by an anaconda and I went, "Well, yeah, but and they were like, "No, disqualified,
0: disqualified for a TV show you have this is why it 's important you do shit like this, yeah and with people also way bigger than me, because you have to have the narrative out there that also happens to be the truth I mean yeah that and and the fact that people are tuning in to
1: watch Discovery Channel where they 're telling people that mermaids are real <laughs> they 're telling them they 're promising that a snake is going to eat someone yeah." I mean, come on. We used to when we were kids, Discovery Channel used to be something you could watch and learn from. And I feel like that's been when I was a kid, they had good stuff on. Come on. Maybe. Discovery Channel and yeah. Animal Planet. We used to watch Steve Irwin, Jeff Corwin. That's true. Those yeah. guys were great. They used to have actual documentaries. I mean I remember they had a thing, I think it was Discovery Channel. They had like Mission to Borneo. They had like they'd go with actual scientists and then, you know, Shark Week, they'd play stuff up, but it's like the actual ridiculous, like just ratings hunt yes just whoring themselves out for ratings like i am now the poster child for that i went to hollywood and learned hard um what happens when you go along with a major studio like that
0: yeah it's kind of the it's it's one of the downsides of of i guess capitalism in this way because you're always look even if capitalism is is a better system than the alternatives which i would absolutely agree <laughs> you know there's always going to be some like some loose end that can't be tied and when you have When you have public or even private corporations that need to be able to get a bottom line in order for everyone to subsist, they're going to find a way to make everything juicy. And it's like, look, if you can make something juicy honestly, fucking do it, man. Do it. I'm here for it. But like when you're telling me now, I had no idea that was like going on for a few hours while you were filming that. Oh, my God. And like the way they made it look. Oh, yeah. it's, It's like something about that's so wrong because you are especially like looking at your own life arc. You're somebody who is, like, legitimately the dude, the Tarzan down in the Amazon. Well,
1: I tarred and feathered myself on this one, man. I'll give you another example, though, of what we were dealing with. So we are in the Amazon, and we got all of our local indigenous guys there. We have scientists from around the world. I compiled all, like, you know, the, the A-team of all the best people I had. And uh, we're, like, on week three or four of filming, and we get this call on a sat phone in the middle of the jungle from this, like, producer sitting in, a, in an air-conditioned room in L.A. When is this? This is as we're filming. So earlier in 2014, okay. summer of 2014, and uh, he goes, look, look, man, we don't have a danger beat. He's like, we need a danger beat. I was like, what do you want us to do? I was like, we're literally like up to our necks in the swamps, in the Amazon hunting for anacondas. We've caught anacondas. You've, it's been exciting. And the guy was like, no, no, no. We need like a lead out to a commercial. So we need you guys to look shocked. And I was like, yeah, yeah but these are professionals. Like, we're not, we're not actually shocked and scared. We're, we're in control. I mean, that's like asking a bunch of firemen to just freak out and run out of the building. It's like, we're not going to do that. That's not, that's not how we roll. It's not how we present ourselves. And they were like, basically, they, they hung up. We got the call back. And they're like, look, we figured out a way for you guys to look shocked. And uh, <laughs> this will be a great commercial lead out. You're traveling down the river. And Paul, you, you discover that there are black piranha up ahead. And so you tell everyone to pull over in the boat and you pour a bucket of blood into the river and then you safely go around the piranha. And I was like, bro, you pour how- a bucket of blood, a into the bucket river. of blood. I'm like, where am I supposed to get a bucket of blood in the jungle? <laughs> we how, got that. <laughs> how would, how would anacondas? Uh, so how would piranhas hurt us if we're in a boat? And I was like, this is fucking stupid. I was like, I'm not doing it. And they went, well, we'll shut down production. Oh so in God. the end, they made us act out this ridiculous scene where where we had to pretend that we were being shocked by an electric eel. This is the stuff that they're feeding people.
0: Well, I mean, the, the crazy thing is, I'm sitting here and as you're telling me it, like some of it just sounds more shocking than the last thing. But when you sit back, like everyone listening right now, this is the reality TV age. Like yeah. none of this should surprise us. Nope. It's just something about the fact that it's like, raw documentary supposed to be content yeah, like sure. in nature sure, sure, with like sure. animals and shit mm-hmm. you don't think like oh the kardashians but that's literally what it's It's literally is. the same thing same it's the shit. kardashians
1: in the jungle they Fuck. literally at one point they were like hey could you guys could you guys have a little could you turn that argument up a little bit we have like an <laughs> argument about like whether you use like a piece of gear you know like, could you would you guys would you guys ever like really argue about that and we were like theoretically i don't know and the guy was like just do a little more get pissed and storm off and we we're like uh... no just no no no
0: You got the dude with like the fake British accent from America, thing (laughs) tied around his neck. Like, I need some more drama. (laughs) (laughs) It was Tropic Thunder. (laughs) This motherfucker's dead. (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, again, it's it's great to start with that because I think that encaptures the 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 fact that the battles go far beyond just the awareness. Because you never know. Like, you can when you're passionate about something like you are. You're going to look for every possible angle yeah. you can get. And that's all you were doing here. And so, yeah, let's dispel some of that shit. Now, yeah. I think that's a great clip right there to go through that for people to see. Like, yeah. oh, this is what Paul Rosalie's about, you know?
1: Yeah, because it's still – that that definitely the, – the the stigma of that still follows me around. But, yes, when you go into it, it's how much burning forest do I have to see? How many dead animals smoking on the ground that used to be the Amazon rainforest do I have to see before I come just screaming? What right. do you do when you're at the top of your lungs and no one's listening? we've been screaming for decades Mm -hmm. about this. I grew up, I went to the Bronx Zoo. The, The thing that propelled me into what I do today is that I saw those pictures in the Bronx Zoo. And they said, when there's a road, it kills a rainforest. And they showed all the pictures of the timber coming down. And they said, these environments might not be there by the time you're grown up. And that's what sent me. I dropped out of high school. I got my GED, I went to college and I started going to the Amazon rainforest at 18 years old.
0: I was gonna say, like how how does a Sicilian from Brooklyn end up down in the Amazon? And I guess that's a simple enough. Well, one day I was eating mozzarella <laughs> on thirteenth Avenue. But you were just passionate about it. You, yeah, you yeah, wanted yeah, to learn yeah. more, it sounds yeah. like. Um, in the
1: nature versus nurture, it's hard to say because when I was a kid, I was that kid that like my parents would be like, What do you want to do this weekend? And I'm talking like three years old, and I'd be like, I wanna to go to the stream. Like I wanna go catch frogs, I wanna see snakes, I wanna go. Um, so they would take me to do all that stuff. So they nurtured my nature, and That's then cool. yeah, it was You're it was amazing.
0: From New York City. I mean, it's yeah. like you know, yeah. And so then we lived in Jersey
1: for a while growing up, and so I was in like upstate New York, and in I'd like to go to the the forest on uh like summer thunderstorm days because it looked dark like jungly, and then as a teenager I was going out into the into the forest and I would bring a steak. Like I'd bring like i I'd save up. I'd get like a ribeye and I'd bring my hunting knife and my my golden retriever.
0: Mm, no, sh-
1: no shelter, one match, and that's the whole weekend. And you got to just build shelter, find your way, survive in the forest, and you have your dog. And so it's fun. You were into You were clearly, yes. like, yeah. So I was, by was, Yes. It. So I was in survival situations. I was tracking animals from an extremely young age. I'd say from, like, 11 years old, I was out on my own.
0: So once again, though, when you were 18, was it you didn't – you got into a program or you just waited to go to college and went down there first? Or what was the – no, when
1: you're that age, you, especially it's it's amazing how different it is now, 17 years later. But um, at that age, I was, try- I was trying to look for the most um, official way of going down. I don't want to go down mm-hmm. to like Costa Rica as a tourist. I wanted to go to the Amazon rainforest and be a part of either research or some other project that was actually important. And so I asked everybody, and everybody said, "No, you got to be like a grad student to do this. You're 17 years old. They're like, go finish high school." And I'm like,
0: "I'm never going back. You can't make me." Um, How much did you know, like, about the Amazon before you went? mm,
1: The stuff I'd seen on documentaries. I mean, the stuff that you know, David Attenborough and Steve Irwin and. You know it's it's you 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 know they have those rainforest books in the library like those big you know yeah, you have like yeah. friends lanting and all these all these photographers that would put out you know the rainforest books and we just look at them like oh my god look at look at the mist coming off the jungle and look at these species and the arrow frogs and anacondas jaguars and uh there's always that thing looming over your head when you love rainforests is like is it even going to be there by the time i get to see it mm. and so for me i was a kid that i hated school wasn't good in school um was constantly, constantly getting in trouble. And so I just, I mean, my parents were so supportive. They said, look, you can you can leave after your sophomore year, get your GED, which for all the other kids that don't like school, want to get out in the world, you don't have to do it.
0: Oh, you left high school after I, sophomore year. I left high school. I never, I never, never went back,
1: never told them. They were calling us. Um, for junior year. They were like, yo, you're not showing up. It was like, we never even said
0: anything. My apologies if you said that. I was just making sure I had your video because I realized it was on the other file so I was a little out there for a second. Yeah, but no, no. Yeah, so wow. that I didn't realize you went like... That was even... No, I just left. Shit.
1: I was just like, I, I felt like from the, from middle school to high school, I was like, I am so bored from sitting at a desk and I've been in trouble so many times. And I was reading all these books of people like Jane Goodall and all these incredible people mm. that, Teddy Roosevelt, that like go out there and do stuff. And I was like, at what point does that start for me? Mm. You know, like on the weekends, I can go camping in Harriman State Park by myself. But if I walk for three more hours, I come out the other side and I'm right. still in suburbia. And I'm like, at what point... Can I go to a place in nature where you can drink the water? Where is it like still pristine? Like to me, it was like we've we've. If you look at the east coast of the U.S., I mean, it's all humans, you know. Yeah. And so I wanted to go to a place that was like truly wild. And when you look at everywhere, the Amazon rainforest is the biggest contiguous rainforest on Earth. The Western Amazon has more biodiversity than anywhere else on Earth. And so, and what
0: what for people out there, when you say biodiversity, are you referring to? pretty much everything as far as like plants and species? Yep, the whole
1: ecosystem. So you have the tropical Andes, which is like the cloud forests at the edge of the Andes Mountains. And then you have the lowland tropical Amazon rainforest. And when those two mega biodiverse biomes meet, you have more plants and animals than has ever existed, not just on earth, but in the entire fossil record. So we're alive at the most species-rich moment in terrestrial biology. Mm. It's mind-blowing. I always tell people, like you look at like you watch the movie avatar and it's it's like that, yeah, like yeah. you literally there are giant trees, they are connected by mycelium networks, and there's animals pollinating all this stuff. It is the most complex ecosystem you can imagine it's absolutely mind blowing
0: and it's a place so few people go it's it's like kind of like that i don't it's not forgotten because people do know the word rainforest and they say yeah, it and don't yeah. really think about it here, but it's not like there's not as much of an emphasis on like crazy tourism at least like from the US to go down there it would be really no. cool if people had yeah. the opportunity to do that
1: yeah I mean we do that that's how I started I went down and met the local guys and then we started bringing tourism because at the time they were like this is how we can work not as loggers right you know you're born down there you only do a few things you're either a gold miner you're a logger um, or you work in ecotourism and so I mean you have to pretty much the jungle is the resource and you have to find a way to make a living off the jungle and so I started they were like look we're trying to protect this little piece of forest and they were like, but we don't have access to gringos. We're always out in the jungle. And so I was like, you want gringos? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, New York City got some gringos. I was like, I can bring you people. And so I started going back and telling my friends stories about I'm in the jungle and this jaguar was smelling my head while I was asleep at night and I, you know, an anaconda and we caught a caiman and people were like, what are you talking
0: about? And I was like, come with me. Yeah. I was like, I will show you. Yeah. I was like, this place will change your life. What What I really want to do today is not just educate on the actual rainforest and what it's yeah. comprised of and stuff like that. And I'll be putting maps in the corner. And I'll point out like when you're talking sometimes when I'm putting one in the corner for people to see on the screen, but like, you know, the, the, the whole thing is it's almost like, I, I love how you use the avatar example. Mm-hmm. Cause it almost has like a, like a breathing life of its own yeah. as a whole. Like that's how I yeah. visualize it in my head. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's like three or four thousand indigenous communities down there yep. that live on their own, away from the various nations they're in. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't and again, we'll I'll put I'll start with the first map right now. A lot of people don't even know like where the rainforest is fully comprised, like mm-hmm. which countries it's in. It's yeah. in Everybody guess, thinks like it's nine just or in Brazil. ten countries or yep. something.
1: There's about nine countries in the Amazon Basin. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's crazy is that the rhetoric that we are used to hearing from growing up that perhaps clearly we don't put enough emphasis on is that, oh my god, it's going to be gone or yep. like it's burning and – or they're they're cutting down trees and we're going to lose this ecosystem. What people don't really get and I'm also speaking for myself here is exactly like – To what effect it is now gone because we're like, well, it's still there. They were telling us it wasn't there 10 years ago, but it's burning fast. (laughs) And also why that's so important. Like you blew my mind when we were out to dinner the first time you were here with Ryan talking about the use of trees, like Mm -hmm. in architecture and stuff and how it's not just as simple as, yeah, just plant a new tree at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack
1: in the questions you just asked, but it's right now the Amazon rainforest, I mean, it's producing, it's one of the largest physical features on our planet. Let's start there. You look at planet Earth. It's something you can see from space. It's huge. It dominates the top of South America. And you have more plants and animals there than anywhere else. So you have medicines coming out of there. You have endangered species. You have all this hardwood. You have a river system that holds a fifth of our planet's fresh water. <sighs> Yeah. So that's producing all of this moisture that's in the clouds, that's stabilizing our global climate. So in terms of things, because the Amazon is keeping carbon in the ground, the Amazon rainforest is breathing in all that. And so you have this major climate regulation system that comes standard with life on Earth. And we're like, let's just destroy it. And they're doing the same thing in Indonesia. They're doing the same thing in the Congo. It's just it's so tempting to cut down these trees. And use them for hardwood floors, for whatever. And it's like, these get exported to China, to America, to Europe. We're losing one of the most important things we have. And like literally the cure for malaria came out of the Amazon rainforest. Um, mm. We we have so many medicines flowing through these trees. I mean, I've been with the late local guys for 17 years. They don't go to the pharmacy. They go to the trees. There used to be an Apple campaign. They used to say, we have, a, we have an app for that. Um, whatever you need we yeah. got an app for that and it's like my guy down there jj anything that happens you're like oh i got an eye infection he's like i have a sap for that right and he'll take you into the forest and cut a tree and whether he has to boil it or mix it with something else but like they have compounds and this is not like you got to believe in it for it to work this is these are chemical compounds flowing through the trees there's one tree in the amazon that's Its sap is so rich in hydrocarbons that you could cut this tree, collect the sap, pour it into a diesel motor, and the the engine will run. Holy shit. Like, there's some wild shit down there. We found saps that murder infections. Like, you cannot have an infection. You cannot have that bacteria in a Petri dish. It will destroy it. And it's like, infections are a major problem in the health industry. Like, across America, I think I heard something like, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's like, I heard something that next to car accidents, infections kill more Americans every year. Like it's a major thing. Even now. like, And especially that we're getting antibiotic resistant infections like MRSA, people are like, we're constantly at a battle where our antibiotics have to combat the ability of bacteria to adapt. And so it's like, when you have compounds like this that murder this stuff, it's like that's a major thing these are medical breakthroughs hidden in the amazon waiting to be uncovered as we're burning it down
0: and why are people obviously there's trees being cut down everywhere i'm, I'm <laughs> not naive but why is it so heavy in the amazon or like where another rainforest is in like the congo and stuff mm. like that like why do of all the places where loggers have to like say all right we're gonna cut down a fuck ton why are they going to these places I
1: think the reason... I mean, look, we've lost 95% of the original tree cover that was in the nor- in North America before Europeans reached the continent. 95%. Like, good luck finding old Oh, North America. in North yeah. America. Yeah. I believe that. I mean, they pretty much just came to the continent and shaved it. You know, and you have, like, a few patches that were protected by people that could see this happening, like the sequoia trees and the redwoods. Um, but in rainforests, what happens is you have these vast areas that are completely impenetrable. And so a lot of times like you're past law enforcement you're it's so remote and it becomes this wilderness area and so when you get a road going through there people see it as just a free for all whether or not somebody mm. owns that land it's so vast that like when we're down there in the Amazon like you someone will cut a road like for instance Brazil and China and the World Bank just cut the Trans Amazon Highway through the Amazon scar right across the Amazon rainforest a road from Sao Paulo all the way out to Lima
0: I'm gonna guess that was kind of run by China yeah Yeah.
1: and that was I I believe the 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 former head of the United Nations called it the single most detrimental human-caused project on the environment ever the single most damaging project to the environment in human history. was Funded the by the
0: CCP? You don't say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so now what we're seeing is all these offshoot roads, all these offshoot roads. And so now for the first time, people can get into the rainforest. And oh, look, we got chainsaws now. So in history, you couldn't actually... I mean, if me or you was dropped in a rainforest right now, it's like you can't cut down a tree that's three times as, as thick as this room
0: yeah.
1: with a machete. No, But when you got a six-foot chainsaw, then you could do some damage. And so now they could take down these huge trees and get tens of thousands of dollars for an individual hardwood tree. You take down a Spanish cedar, you take down a mahogany. Those are big money.
0: And, and so why do they want to build that road? That's what I really want to know. Well, if you build the road, you can
1: you can extract all this resources. You can take out Brazil nuts, you can go, you mm-hmm. can well, you can cut down the trees, you can get the timber, you can cut down the trees, take the timber, burn everything else, and then start a cattle farm. And then if that doesn't work, you can suck up the land in the Amazon and the West Amazon the gold particles are in the sand. So in order to mine Mm. for gold, you have to cut the forest, burn the forest, and then suck up the earth with water and run it through a sluice and have mercury to bind the gold in like sediment. And then you have to burn off the mercury, releasing it into the atmosphere. And you get a very small quantity of poor quality gold. And so they are destroying. That's way different
0: than a lot of places. It's way different. You're not finding
1: nuggets of gold. And so you can actually look at the Amazon from space and see these huge scars right in the West Amazon where gold miners are just destroying the forest. And it's not even like cutting down the forest and then leaving. They're cutting down the forest and then destroying the earth. And it's polluted with mercury. So now that mercury is- It's polluted with mercury? With mercury, because they're using mercury to bind the gold out of the soil.
0: Oh, shit.
1: Yes. And so why do people have this access to mercury? We don't know. I mean, it's literally the, the, the photos of this. It's like an absolute war. Yeah, There's, let me see if I
0: can pull one up while you're talking. Yeah, type in
1: um, like gold mining, Amazon rainforest. I mean, the Peruvian government went in and tried to get control and basically the cops got turned around because it was it was a zone they couldn't enter.
0: When you say, okay so you and i have talked so i i think i understand that but even i might not when you say it's a zone they couldn't enter is that because it's an official indigenous territory no. and because they the the landscape doesn't allow for human beings to be able to navigate it
1: no it's a zone they couldn't enter because it's, when you go into these gold mining zones it's you're outside of sort of the jurisdiction of anywhere i mean like society breaks down i mean what are the rules of society there's the things we agree on and then we we all abide by when you're mm. out in the middle of the rainforest it's who's got bigger guns and how many of us are there. right and can't so apply law yeah it's it's literally natural law it's who's got more firepower and so the police literally are scared to go into these regions because they're owned by mafias of gold miners and we're talking about child trafficking for brothels in there they steal children out of the indigenous communities and bring them to the mining areas and then when the police but, but go the in the cops
0: there, can't do anything about this the cops will get shot
1: the cops will go in there and get murdered. They find people are the the lawyer I work with in the Amazon. His father stood up to the gold miners publicly and was murdered for it. Fuck. One of my close friends, who I used to go fishing with all the time, stood up to the loggers and was and was sort of vocal against gold miners. They shot him in the back of the head while he was like tying his shoes.
0: Who are these gold miners? Like, they're, they're where just, are they
1: from? What are like? They're local are they about? people. They're local people who have no other resources so that's where it gets interesting it's like you come down i came to the amazon because i wanted to protect wildlife and you end up having to deal with the social impacts because trees trees aren't going to cut themselves down and you know when ryan was here it's like they're trying to stop people from shooting elephants it's like well elephants aren't going to go extinct they were here a long time before we were unless we murder them every day right in the hundreds of thousands and it's like We this the whole thing with the environment is like people like we're losing species. We're losing our forests. We're losing our ocean. We're not losing anything. We're doing it. We're allowing other people to murder this shit. It's not the earth isn't dying. It's being killed.
0: But the I want to stay on this gold miners thing example for a second. And by the way, is that what you were looking for? That image behind you? That stuff, but no. I'm going to send you pictures
1: because they they tried to go in there and there was like a police effort where they got the military and they went in with like military and you see these guys in like full swat gear. Okay, got it. But
0: what we're talking about though is that's what it looks like though when they're done with the mercury and the gold. I was
1: was just there with ABC News last year.
0: I'll put that in the corner of the screen so people can see it. So what I'm I'm seeing on that picture is that used to be a densely tree populated rainforest and now it's this... That used to be the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. And now when we were there, there was a
1: sandstorm. Like if that doesn't make you feel like you're in a fucking post-apocalyptic movie, we were in the Amazon rainforest with the news and a sandstorm blows up and there's tornadoes of dust in the most important part of the Amazon rainforest. Like people don't realize how bad Those it is down killing. there. Wow. And it's it all, all of this is, is people that need better jobs. So I went down there with the ecotourism stuff, and I, we went, I went with a guy from National Geographic. We were going up this river for anacondas, actually, and uh, we were with this gold miner. This, is, this, is, is, this whole story just blows my mind. Um, everyone said we were going to get murdered because we were going upriver with gold miners. And so uh, while we were up there, the Peruvian Navy actually came down in full fatigues, you know, rifles. They blow up this guy's gold mining barge. I mean, the explosion was terrifying. There was chunks of metal everywhere. And I said to this guy, I was like, what are you going to do now? I was like, I mean, we're hanging out with the illegal gold miners. We're sitting there and he's like, he's like wiping his forehead. And he was like, (laughs) I guess I'm going to go get another motor. And I was like, what if you just did what we've been doing? I was like, why don't you like, we could bring people. You live in a beautiful patch of forest. I was like, we could show people this forest. You'd actually earn more money as a conservationist than you would as a gold Mm. miner. So he switched. He built a whole lodge with his own two hands. We started bringing him people from all over the world and everything was going great. Until the gold miner showed up at 4 a.m. With their rifles with masks over their faces they dragged him out of bed they put him on the floor they beat the shit out of him they took his kids out of the house and they said with a gun to his head they said say goodbye to your father this is my friend this is a guy i've worked with for years and he stood up to the gold miners and now he's got a gun against his head and so he said please don't shoot me in front of my kids please so they stand him up they tie his hands and they bring him on the boat and they start driving up river so his family as far as they know that's the last time they're going to see this guy He's driving upriver with the gold miners. His hands are tied behind his back. And then they start hearing the sound of another motor. And so this guy's thinking, how do I get out of this situation? His name is Borian. He's going, I'm going to die today. How do I get out of this situation? And so um, as they're going upriver, they hear the sound of another thing. They have to start preparing things in the front of the boat to actually try and escape from the, from the Peruvian armed forces that are coming down river for the, for the gold miners. He goes, just untie my hands. He goes, I'll drive the boat for you because we all have to get away. And so this like kind of united them for a second. They at least let him they tied his hands in the front. So now he's driving the boat, he crashed the boat, jumped in the river, floated down river and then for Holy 3 shit. days survived in the forest with his hands tied. He was like scratching him on vines. I get a phone call that this guy's missing and we had to get support from the US to send a rescue crew up Holy. there. Fuck. He made it out by the skin of his teeth. He had a rifle against his head. They were ready to kill him because he stood up to the gold miners.
0: But what's the craziest part about all this is before you even get into that story, you're talking about something we're going to talk more about, yeah. which is that you can, there's a way in conservation, which isn't exactly, you know, a Wall Street high end executive job, there's a way to pay these people more yeah. than they're making in the gold mining because they're trying to subsist and survive and make yeah. money. Yeah. But. Those are the people who you're talking about who are doing the potentially killing here. So who's funding them? In the case of the gold miners,
1: nobody. In the case of the loggers, literally Chinese companies have come into into the Amazon and they've given them the heavy machinery that they need to go in and build these roads to bulldoze trees and then to extract that timber and take it to Asian markets.
0: And they're cool with the loggers. Don't ask, don't tell if you're killing fucking people that are getting in the way. They
1: don't care what's they don't the care. They all. don't care at all. They just say, go in there and do it. Now, here's the thing.
0: How are the gold miners not rich though? If, if the, <laughs> no one funds them? Because they're the
1: bottom level. They're pulling this out of the, out of the earth. They're working, I mean, the, and because it's distributed in the sand, the more you work, the more earth you suck up into that hose. The more you earn as a gold miner and so the the, it it forces them to work endlessly day Mm. and night and so and then when they go to sell it they get a small price for it and then it's only when it hits the international market that it actually goes up in price the guys on the ground are getting it's like blood diamond yeah you know the guys digging with the shovels in the pit they're not making money they're just doing it because their family's starving and they have no other option and then when something threatens that it's like well desperation breeds hostility where they're going this is my family and so What we've, what this story taught me was, you know, by befriending one of these gold miners, by working with him, this guy was a great guy. He's so much fun. I mean, we bring tourists to see him, you know, he's involved in research now. Um, He's actually an activist against the gold miners because he sees that his life is better now that he's not doing that anymore. And then the repercussions come. And in the Amazon, they are murdering activists. I mean, all over the world, environmental activists. If you stand up to the powers that are sucking these resources, you're standing up to major global forces.
0: And you can't... I mean, you talked about, like, for example, a Peruvian military team coming into, mm-hmm. the, in, into the forest to attack these guys or whatever. But the problem at the core of it is that so often these this stuff is happening in places where they can't even get to because it's too dangerous. But the people that live there... Like, these gold miners, these aren't the indigenous people, no? Um, most of the indigenous, so so this is an
1: interesting um, nuance. Yeah. Is, and a lot of people, because we have a ranger team now, and, and people really focus on our indigenous rangers, but there's a lot of people in the region that are Peruvians. They just yes. live in the region. They're not from an indigenous community, though. And so there's a difference there in terms of the people that are from a truly indigenous community or the people that are just part of the population of the country. And so that there's a little bit of a thing, you know, I'm an American, but I'm i I'm not a Native American. And right. so like for understanding that, um, most of the indigenous communities are much more conservation minded. I mean, indigenous communities are by far the best stewards of the rainforest because they don't they,
0: speak regular languages and stuff. Some of them do. Some they of them do? are yeah,
1: some of them are, are very I mean, the I think it's the Kayapo. I mean, there's definitely some some groups in other countries where they're running complex tourism things, they're doing huge efforts with conservation these people know what they have and they want to protect their land and they live on it and they depend on it and they know that having fish in the river means that they'll always have food and that keeping the trees growing means that they'll always have fruit and it's like they understand that simple thing that if you can breathe the air and drink the water life is possible
0: and they don't have obviously Electricity. They don't have guns and stuff like that. Ah, at this point, most of them do. They do. Most of them do. But the one you were telling me about, then I guess, is an exception. Where you were telling me another story about like being shot by a bone arrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's different. Okay, so there's some that are like that, though. Oh yeah, that's the uncontacted tribes. I mean, the if you want to like
1: split hairs, I mean, are they uncontacted tribes if they've raided other camps and you know stolen a machete or had some you know some sort of contact? No. But are there people that are completely isolated, living out in the Amazon rainforest, naked in the jungle, who still live with bows and arrows barefoot? Yes. They've been out there for over – at least over 100 years in that state because when the rubber boom hit, another extractive period at the turn of the century. The rubber boom? The rubber boom. When when the industrial revolution hit and we needed – hoses gaskets bike tires all of a sudden rubber became this huge thing now where did rubber come from the amazon rainforest it's Mm. another thing that we got from the amazon before it was stolen and brought to to asia but henry ford actually went to the amazon and created fordlandia he tried to actually make this giant rubber plantation that failed because you can't make a plantation out of rubber so what happened was again there was this huge demand for rubber It sent all these people from the north down into the Amazon. And what they did was the only way to get to all these trees was to get the local people to make them to do it. So what you got was basically a Holocaust where they went down there and they beat the local people into submission. The missionaries were begging people. They were like, this is just ungodly amounts of suffering. They were lighting people, just shock and awe, just lighting people on fire, being like, you do exactly as we say. And so you had these rubber barons collecting rubber and they would go to the communities, make slaves out of the people and then send them out into the jungle. And of course, keep their children as ransom. I mean, mean, the worst shit you can imagine. And so these tribes are a result of that. These are the tribes that, there's a book called The Unconquered because these are literally the tribes that said no. They said, they pointed their arrows at at the threat and said, we're gonna keep backing up into the forest. And so they've been out there. Isol- they may have once had more contact with some of the other communities, but they've been isolated. And once you isolate a population, their their mythology, their generational knowledge comes down to that the outside world is dangerous. The outside yes, world is trying to kill down. us. Right. And so these are still extremely hostile tribes. Um, numerous people in our region have been shot by arrows. Um, three loggers, just uh, last month, three loggers were shot and the... The, the police actually finally came out to review the bodies and like sort of on the WhatsApp, you know, interweb, we, we, got, we got photos of it. It was just these puffed up bodies with arrows in them on the beaches. And it was just loggers who came around to bend and they shot at the tribes and the tribes shot six foot arrows at them.
0: What are the arrows made out of? Bamboo tipped.
1: You take bamboo and split it and it actually splits with a razor edge. And so wow. they know how to do that and then cure it over the fire. And then they attach that to these pieces of giant river cane. It's just like a fat grass. It weighs nothing.
0: How long is it? About like... six or seven feet.
1: And so they're launching spears that they can shoot a spider monkey at like 100 meters. And so when, when loggers come around and they're shooting a shotgun, a shotgun's range is what? They're at 60 feet accurately that's going to do any damage. And you have these guys that can launch these arrows huge distances. And these are like steak knives. And so you have, right now in the Amazon, there's a slow war playing out between the extractors, between loggers, gold miners, and the Uncon, the last truly free people on earth.
0: That is... It's like, you know what? (laughs) It doesn't sound real. (laughs) You're exploding my head today because I have so many questions and you are throwing out so much information. I'm sure people at home are like, oh my God, like, because you know, you've been down there for 17 fucking years for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like... You know, the idea that that even just that right there, where you have gold miners and loggers yep. who are at least people of society, but they happen to live yeah. in, in the have, rainforest. They have cell phones, yeah. Right. Chainsaws. So they're, I don't want to use this word, but just for the sake of argument, we're going to say more normal, like modern yeah. day humans. More relatable, yeah. And then you have all these indigenous tribes in there mm-hmm. and they're all fighting their own little war, right? That's on mm-hmm. one hand. Mm-hmm. Then on the other hand, you have outsiders like you coming in trying to save stuff who are fighting a war with the the loggers and the gold miners sometimes where you're just trying to convince them other times where they're literally shooting at you and killing you and then in the meantime you have the indigenous tribes some of them that are like oh you're an enemy too it's like this you can't win
1: no um this i I think it was i can't remember who said it somebody some author called the amazon the greatest natural battlefield on earth because it's perfect per acre you have, I mean, just from the spider level, you have spiders eating frogs and praying mantises eating, you know, butterflies. And it's just everything in that ecosystem is in constant competition and has been evolving for millions of years to be predator and prey. And because of the denseness of the biodiversity, there's just everything is eating each other all the time. Life is actually this moment of stasis that's the antithesis to the constant churning death of the Amazon. I mean, it's just, it's just a meat grinder. Things are alive for a moment and then they die. Every single thing in that forest is going to be eaten from the biggest tree to the jaguar to you. I mean, and that's why you walk through the jungle and there's bot flies inserting their larva into your skin. Um, a dead body decomposes in like two days. Leaf, you know, the termites, ants, uh, maggots, dung beetles, everything will come in and just rip apart that body. When an animal dies in the forest and we watch it, it literally like puffs up and then goes down in, in a day. It just, it just sucks life. And just fungal mycelium is running through everything, breaking down. As soon as those trees fall, think about it. If the Amazon rainforest didn't have fungus to break down the leaves, it would bury itself. All those falling leaves constantly it would just end up becoming this thing. It's constantly churning through life. The rivers are sucking all that out. And it's actually, um, it's actually at such a quick rate that you like you you can't leave like if there's no way to store food in the amazon which is a lot of the reason that a lot of these cultures rely Mm. on like daily hunting daily fishing where are you gonna put it you catch a fish you got to eat that fish because by tomorrow it's bad there's other things living in it or at night something came and stole it it's like you it's a it's a fast-paced survival right there
0: trying to think like off the top of my head other places around the world that are relatable to this, and other than what you said about like certain parts of Congo where there actually yeah. are a couple rainforests, is there anything
1: there is? I mean, like Indonesia, another place is getting ripped apart by palm oil. Um, the Indonesian rainforests next to the next to Brazil and the Amazon and the Congo, Indonesia has some of the most beautiful rainforests on earth and some of the most ecologically significant rainforests on earth. There's this thing called the Lesour ecosystem. It's the last place on earth where there's tigers, rhinos, elephants, orangutans, all living in the same jungle. It's mm. like a wonderland. Incredible forest. Huge carbon sink. Stores tons of forest.
0: How big are we talking?
1: It's not tremendous, this one area. Okay. But they're just every year, they're cutting it. And I'm talking about clear cutting it and putting up palm oil plantations. because palm we Palm oil plantations? Palm oil. It's literally the kryptonite of the rainforest. It's in so many products. It's in chips, it's in shampoos, it's in mm. skincare products, and they're leveling the rainforest for it. And so here's the thing. At the end of the day, people get very... I mean, you're talking to the biggest environmentalist on earth. I've, yeah. I've, I've devoted my life to this, but people spend so much time crying about it when there's truly practical solutions. If you could knock out the timber industry who's buying those 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 old wood trees they'd find something else to do. So Same with palm oil.
0: Before we go all the way down this, I think yeah. a really effective thing that you explained to me that we hinted at earlier, I don't know if we got all the way into it, was what, like, for people at home just thinking to themselves, well, why not just plant new trees or some shit like that? Yes. You're talking yeah. about, like, we use wood for all kinds of shit, yeah. but probably the number one thing is forms of architecture and perhaps even paper, right? Yep. And so let's start with paper if, if i take out an 8 by 11 page that i'm gonna put in a printer this thing needs to be sturdy right yeah. it can't like tear rip apart yep. softly and shit like that i mean yep. of course you can tear paper easily but it needs to be like it can be sturdy and then if you look at a house and you're building the foundation of a house well you, some houses you're Pretty planning means. on let's let that shit be there for 300 years yeah you need to make sure that it is that it also is sturdy such that it doesn't fall in on itself so as you explained to me when they're cutting down these trees in the rainforest for example they're cutting down trees that are at least several hundred years old usually thousands of years old yeah and you can't you can't use replanted trees after 10 or 20 years because apparently the wood does not have that foundation such that You know paper will tear apart and houses will have to be rebuilt in five to ten years
1: there's there's so much stuff that old growth forests offer so yes um like like now they're going in the us they're going and repurposing the big old beams out of barns because we don't have trees that big and that strong anymore Mm -hmm. they don't exist we cut them already and so our our old growth forests are already in our architecture they're gone and so in the rainforest is not it's not only that that's the smallest aspect of it is that when you have this giant tree that's the size of a living room and again think. The home tree in avatar just giant buttress roots mm. branches that spread out this is like 150 160 foot tree in the amazon rainforest it's covered with thousands of other species right it's a skyscraper of life and so when you have you know a 10 year old little sapling in the tree it hasn't developed those complex communities yet it doesn't have the mosses and lichens and mycelium it doesn't have birds and mammals and, and monkeys living in it it doesn't ha- it hasn't lost um branches that make holes in the tree that create habitat for other species or have strangler figs growing on it these trees become these incredibly complex worlds of life and so when you're cutting a 600 year old tree or a thousand year old tree we will never get that back in our lifetime even if we plant a tree right now what my great 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 grandkids might see it like it's not these forests have been growing for so long and are so complex Um, that's actually one of the biggest things that pisses me off because there's all these organizations out there right now that are like, and again, different places, different strategies, you know what I mean? Like California, there are wildfires. The Amazon does not burn. People can't seem to separate those two things. And, uh, you know, with, with the old growth thing, it's like, no, it's not about planting more trees. Recently, a guy did a stunt where he jumped out of a plane with a bunch of seeds and he like skydived with like seeds all around him. And it was like, great. Once again, you're doing nothing. You're just a dipshit getting eaten by an anaconda for no reason. Mm. Um, what we have to do is protect the old growth trees, the thing that we can't get back. That's my mission. That's what I've been working. And when I say my mission, I, I have to like say this out loud, is that everything I've done in the Amazon rainforest has been through the lens of that. I met the local people and they said, please help us protect this river. Mm. Anything that I've done... Um, there was recently like, you know, every now and then you get, I do these interviews and you get like a, uh, like a title on an interview and I'll say like, meet the man trying to save the Amazon rainforest. And it's like, sure. Um, here's an analogy to, to that, that puts it into perspective. Imagine you're a parent and you take your kid fishing, you get in your car, you bought a fishing rod with the money you earned. You get a hook, you get a worm, you put the worm on the hook, you drive them to a stream, you put it in their hands and then they go, I caught a fish. And it's like, yeah, you did. But with a lot of help. Mm. And so like anything that I, you know, peop, I if, if anything that I do in the Amazon is because I have the teachings of the local people, because we've lived as family for 17 years. And it's like, as a team, this is what we're doing. I happen to be up in North America and I can go to New York and LA and I can speak fluent English so I can do this stuff. Um, they're the brains behind the operation. I mean, everything I'm doing is just at their, these are people trying to save their environment.
0: Well, how soon did that come together like you went down there when you were 18 so yeah. it's been 17 years but like when you first go down it sounds like you're more or less like getting your bearings exploring <laughs> yeah. like trying to understand shit it is at what point did it turn to like okay now we're going to create a clear objective here's how we can start trying to accomplish this objective yeah. and and here's where we want to be in 25 years or something
1: yeah um, yeah, you're absolutely right. When I first got down there, it was really just like, this is incredible. It was like the first time I saw leafcutter ants, I was like, these are real, Yeah. you know? Um, a leafcutter ant? Oh, a leafcutter ant. I mean, you grow up, you see this stuff on, you know, Planet Earth documentaries, you see leafcutter ants. And it was a, the first thing I saw was a giant anteater and I saw leafcutter ants and there was macaws in the sky. Um, and leafcutter ants are again, what part of the regeneration of the forest. They recycle, I think up to 17% of the biomass of the forest, like Of all the trees, animals, everything in the Amazon, if you took all the living biological matter and dried it out of the biomass, they recycle 17%.
0: Wow. I'll put a a picture in the corner of the screen for people.
1: Um, They have cities underground with complex air intake and and ventilation systems. And so, anyway, I went to the jungle, made friends with these guys, and we started going on these crazy adventures. They invited me on indigenous hunting expeditions. So, we'd be out in the jungle for three weeks at a time in the most remote, like unnamed parts of the Amazon rainforest. And that was all well and good. And I started bringing people. So I had a reason I was coming and I felt like I was contributing to their livelihoods and allowing, helping them to protect a little bit of forest. But it was when the Trans-Amazon Highway came through, the last link of the Trans-Amazon Highway was crossing the Madre de Dios Bridge, the Mother of God River in Peru. put
0: that in the corner. I'm going to pull that up for you. And so
1: we saw this bridge as it was being constructed. And at that time, the road was just this little dirt track, but they finished paving it. While I was there and we started to see all these offshoot roads coming off the trans Amazon highway and all of a sudden our river where we had once places it had once taken us two days to get to by boat they would cut a road and then you can get there in a few hours and then the chainsaws start coming in and then the gold miners and the loggers and then my friend got assassinated and then it's like your friend got
0: assassinated yeah it's
1: the guy that said they shot in the back of the head. The miners. I mean, oh, he was, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, these are people that wanted to live out there because they love the forest, because they lived in symbiosis with the forest. And then all of a sudden, you get these outsiders, these extractors coming in. They don't want to hear anything about that. They don't want to hear resistance to their, to their trajectory. And so we started saying, okay, this is getting serious. We're seeing forests go down. We're watching forests burn. What are we going to do? And that's when we said, okay, look, we need to create something bigger. And so we had this meeting and it was like all the local guys and they were like, this is not enough. We need to do more and faster. And so at that time, I was actually in uh, in college in New Jersey and there's something in the Hudson Valley called the Hudson River Keeper. And they protect mm. the Hudson Valley and the endangered sturgeon that are there, the fish populations. And I was like, what if we were the jungle keepers? Mm. What if we were the, the jungle keepers? Such a keepers? sick name. Yeah, like, I mean, you could literally have like a, like a superhero group, the jungle yeah. keepers. Um but they they were like look whatever whatever you can do whatever you have to do they were like we have to we want to protect our home we want to protect this incredible river and our river sits between some major like there's like four or five national parks and protected areas and indigenous zones and this river cuts it's right through the center
0: so the national parks and protected areas are it's a patchwork What do you mean patchwork? It's a patchwork.
1: There's a you, you take this table you throw a national park over there great what about the rest of the table?
0: Right So the Amazon Because that was my question, like how much of it does it really cover Um, percentage wise? I think like I think like I think almost fifty percent
1: of the Amazon is contained in either indigenous reserves or national parks. It's a significant amount. A lot of conservation work has been done by governments, by scientists, by indigenous activists. I mean, there is a huge global concentrated effort to protect the Amazon. It's just that the forces against it are so
0: pervasive, so legion. That. They, that was my question. Do they break the rules all the time oh, of and go in there? Of course. Like okay, in so the let's actual say, national park yeah, let's area? Say,
1: let's say we slap a 40,000 acre national park right there. It's like, okay, cool. But who's going to stop you from going in there right, unless you have guys yeah. on the ground yeah. with monitoring equipment and guns and resources like gasoline to take their boats up and motors. And I mean, my rangers right now, our rangers are surviving in the jungle right now as we speak. Um, they're living out there every single day through the rainy season, the river going up 15 feet. The river drop, and they just feet. patrol all day. They, they patrol all day, and their job is to listen for chainsaws. Their job is to see if there's areas that are being deforested, and report back. And this eyes is, on the ground.
0: So, is this happening on all national park territory where they are, or is it they're also no. venturing outside that?
1: This is the problem: is that we're trying to establish an ecological corridor because, okay. and so here's the significance of the parks thing for people. That we're in we're in, in southeastern Peru, so we're in the Western yeah. Amazon. And again, the Western Amazon is the top of the drainage. So all of these little tributaries are flowing towards the main Amazon River. So anything that happens up here is more significant because you're in the place that creates the Amazon rainforest. And so we're actually, because we're between parks, we're trying to unite the parks. And if we can do that, we'll create the largest protected area in the Amazon rainforest. What do you mean unite the parks? Because somebody created this park over here, Park A. You have Park B over here. Like countries created it. No, I'm saying in, within Peru, you have like Alto Purus National Park, you have the Tambopata Reserve, and then you have Manu National Park, and these are all. This is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. This has been funded by research from major Ivy League colleges, and you have all these prestigious capital of biodiversity, the most important places on Earth, but they're islands. So why doesn't the Peruvian government step in and unite? Because the it? Peruvian government just elected a new miner as a, as the president, right, and so okay. the miners are a major part, and so. When you have a Peruvian politician that doesn't support the miners, you get riots in the streets. You get burnt out storefronts. You get murders.
0: I wonder who funds that.
1: Exactly. And so the loggers, the miners, these are the extractive industry is literally running the government.
0: Well, let's let's also not overlook our own too, because I don't know these stats. Right. Like what? How much of the problem is still coming from America? Yeah, we're buying it. We're buying yeah.
1: all these project products. We're buying the gold. We're buying the timber. So of course,
0: no wonder they're interested in selling it. But you're saying it's more funded by like China and other places. China right now. So the
1: recently the logging the last year has gone up significantly and okay. we started seeing because it was always guys in little trucks and they'd go out as far as they couldn't and then they'd walk into the forest with their chainsaws, cut some wood and float it down river. The last few float months. Float it down
0: river. Yeah.
1: They take like, the wood out of the jungle. They pour, they push the, these huge logs. They'll push them out into the river. They'll mill it right there in the forest. They'll take two chainsaws and join them and they'll just rip boards right there in the rainforest. They know exactly. And just push it. And they just push it out into the river. They make these huge barges and they'll put like 60 feet of timber together and then they'll put floats. They'll put balsa wood floats underneath it and then they float it down the rivers until they can get to the nearest town or city where they can load it onto a truck. Then they take it into the city where corruption, even right. the illegal wood is stamped as legal yeah. And then it's exported to China, the U.S. doesn't matter
0: because the gone. easy answer right away before you say that is, oh, well, why don't they just have the military waiting for it when it comes? Just have a yeah, but. just have
1: a guard post. It's nice and easy, and then that person will get shot, and then you know.
0: But they're all bought um, off. Yeah,
1: so it it Fucking it's nuts. an absolute war zone, and then you know with the fires every year. I mean, I just got back from the fires. The fires are so bad this year.
0: can I show your video? The uh, one, yeah, the, the one you did. This is so good we We played it at the very end of ryan 's episode, oh really, but we yeah, it was like it was like after the uh kind of like the last ten minutes of that we were just saying like how to donate and yeah. I had forgotten to get to it, so it was like I think it was with like three minutes left or something i I finally pulled it up, so I want to make sure I show this because this was. <sighs> This was what, like 2019 maybe Hmm. when you did this? This video, yep. Okay, so I'll put it in the corner of the screen, and then once it's done playing, I'm going to have you explain the context. I'm not
1: going to be able to stay here long because this fire is spreading, but everything behind me right now is the forest that I've been working to protect for the last 13 years. It's burning like this every day. There are literally millions of animals in this forest that cannot escape right now. And if you think our planet can survive this every day in the Amazon... You have another thing coming. We have all the resources to protect this, to stop what's happening behind me right now, and people let it happen every day. Welcome to the fucking anthropocene.
0: Images are just nuts. And this is this is this is to me, this is hard hitting journalism. Like this is what people gotta see. Because this clip, before you explain actually yeah. what's going on, this went viral. It got shared yeah. in the US a lot. Yeah. And you then had, and this has happened sometimes in your career, where Mm -hmm. then every morning show wants to talk to you. But you got to do that again. And then people kind of forgot. Yep. Yeah, so
1: 2019, I'd filmed that uh, before I left the Amazon. I got home and the news was going, starting to go crazy because what was happening was the fires that year were blowing over Sao Paulo, Brazil. And so people were taking these apocalyptic images where the sky was going black and turning all kinds of colors. And they they were uploading it and they were like, this is it. The Amazon rainforest is being taken apart, and we're watching it before our eyes.
0: And what are all the causes of uh, like,
1: it's, like cattle, all the potential it's cattle ranching. Causes? Cattle ranching, soybean, cacao farming, whatever it is. It's just land clearing for farms. It's just they're treating. It's it's basically it's it's bulldozing your house and burning it to cook a sandwich. That's the logic. Mm. It's let's go and destroy one of the greatest things that we have on Earth, so that we can like have cows eating grass. So this it's just is just space. another
0: angle. Like we're talking loggers, miners, and now we're talking like farmers in space.
1: Yeah, it's just farmers in space. I mean, 60% of the deforestation of the Amazon is caused by cattle farming, which is why they'll tell you <laughs> to don't eat beef. Um, but we were running through the fires trying to save burning animals, watching millennium trees go down. I mean, through the 70-foot flames. I mean, you, 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 it is terrifying what's happening. And uh, so I get home And I see this start to trickle out onto the media. And then uh, I just, I went to bed and I threw up that video on Instagram and I wake up in the morning and my phone had vibrated off the table at night and... I had like forty thousand notifications on instagram four different news organizations were already calling me how they got my number i do not know um <laughs> that was actually pretty impressive but yeah i mean before i knew it, i was in a car on my way to 30 rock to give interviews and it was oh um, they
0: even brought you up here for that too oh yeah i forgot about that oh yeah. yeah no
1: i was like in studio and um for three weeks the entire world was focused on the amazon rainforest it was the amazon rainforest fires of 2019 and everyone was doing all these things and i kept saying it again and again this happens every year Every year in the dry season, they cut the forest, they wait a month or two, and then they burn it. Because you can't cut the rainforest. You can't burn the rainforest. You throw a match on the rainforest, nothing. You throw napalm on the rainforest, nothing. But if you cut it and leave it in the tropical sun, cut the circulation out of those trees and let them dry out, then you throw a match on it and you have the biggest bonfire on earth. And so that's happening every single year. And if you think that video is bad, I'll give you this one to throw up for everybody. That's not going to load right now. But like, look at just what that image looks like. It was absolute. I just got back from absolute I'm going to stick this in the corner of the screen while you're yeah.
0: talking about it without the volume because we don't want the volume. This is
1: what we saw in, two weeks ago was absolute annihilation of life on Earth. It, it was, I mean, I've been coughing blood and ashes. I mean, because we were like, we have to document this. It's not in the news. Like everything that we've done down there is dependent on us bit, being able to bring these stories back you know being able i mean they always put the they always put the reporter out in the hurricane you know and the rain's going sideways and it's like i don't believe a damn thing until i see it for myself which is part of the reason that i went to the amazon and it's like while the media is distracted with all this other shit that the rainforest is burning this year and on i think it was august 15th there was higher there was more fires in the amazon this year on any given day than there was in the last 15 years and so the rates right now are higher than they were in 2019 I right, when it went viral. right when you viral. got back yeah. too, right? Yep. It was just kicking just off. Just walked into it. Yep. And you go to people in the city and you say, hey, how are the fires this year? And they're like, what are you talking about? Because from the city, all you can see is like storefronts and, a, and a, you can't see these fires. They're out in the forest. Just like people don't realize the problems happening with bycatch in the ocean and the, the massive drag nets that they do that are just pulling all of the life out of the ocean. Because we're not out in the middle of the ocean. That's not where people live. And so these problems are playing out. These are stupid easy fixes. Make it impossible for people to burn the Amazon by either giving them better jobs or increasing enforcement. Put cameras on ocean liners so that these giant fishing trawlers, so that they can enforce whether or not they're using sustainable fishing practices. I mean, again, all we're asking is for people to not cut down the systems that keep us alive. Literally. I mean, we're literally harming our children by doing this. I mean, we're just taking apart planet Earth. There's no reason for it. We're literally, right now, there's never been a more important moment in history because civilizations rise and fall. This is the first time in history that we have to worry about the living environment collapsing. Mm -hmm. And that's the defining issue of our time. Whatever else you're interested in is secondary to the fact that we're losing our ecosystems. We've lost, since 1970, we've lost half of the wild animals on this planet. There's serious consequences and we're at that breaking point. Because if we cut down too much of the Amazon and that moisture cycle gets broken, then you have drying. Then you have the, the Amazon start to collapse as an ecosystem. And that's why I'm so pissed with those people that are going around saying that the Amazon is a man-made garden.
0: Oh, that's a whole nother thing. That's, that's a, whole. a whole nother thing. We're we're gonna we're gonna get to that for sure. <laughs> but let's let's back it up to the the actual broad point of what you just started laying out there to really put results or results we don't want on it for everyone out there who who is trying to understand like okay the problem i've always heard this is a problem but why and what what does it do so you you talk about like the collapse of the ecosystem Mm. essentially if the rainforest goes you're also pointing out these fires and everything so like for example, people will want to know, like, all right, when one of these fires burns, how far does it usually go? How much gets damaged? What can't be undone? Like, how does it get stopped eventually? Like, is it just rainfall that does it? That's a whole separate silo. But, like, when when you're saying the rainforest going is going to cost us our ecosystem, what does that mean? How much of it is gone already? And how much more is D-Day? Like, we're, we're fucked. Well,
1: that, that's a great question. The right now we've lost about seventeen percent of the Amazon. So round up and call it a fifth of the of the Amazon rainforest is gone. Okay. At what point, you know, if you're if you're, you know, you picture a plane flying and you start taking screws out the wing of the plane, is one gonna do it? No. Is ten gonna do it? Maybe not. But at some point, that wing's gonna come off and the whole fucking plane's gonna crash. And so we're reaching that point in the Amazon now, where every year we're deteriorating the Amazon rainforest and we're weakening its ability to continue providing life giving services to the planet, all that fresh water, all that climate stabilization, all that carbon storage, all the biodiversity, the medicines, not to mention home for millions of indigenous people. I mean, this is such a crucial thing and it's so easy to protect it. It's literally, I mean, if you don't cut down the trees, they'll still be there, but we're letting people every year flood in here. And that's why, um, What we focused on is giving indigenous people better jobs. We've taken people literally that are loggers and gold miners and hired them as rangers. Mm -hmm. And we're sending them out to protect their own environment.
0: On that, the the plane visual is great because Mm -hmm. everyone can understand that. But like you said, it was 17%. So let's let's call it 20% of the rainforest gone. Is there a point at like where maybe 40% of it's gone and then it's it's similar to like animal extinction where you cross a point where now you can't return. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, is there is there something like, do we have any science to yes, back like where point. it is? Yes, yeah. the that's, tipping point.
1: The, the, the tipping point is what everyone's talking about right now. We don't know where that is. That's the problem. Mm. And so how close do you want to get to the tipping point? You know? Can't undo it. You can't undo it because you can't go back and that's what's so scary. And so if we if we end up having, seeing the Amazon rainforest dry out, how is that going to affect global weather patterns? How is that going to affect agriculture and economies all over the world. I mean, this is a major ecological event unfolding right now that we have the ability to change in a positive way. It's not too late. That's the other thing. A lot of environmentalists love this like tragedy porn view of everything where it's like, Mm. oh, everything's going downhill. It's so dark. And it's like, yeah, great. You go listen to Nirvana and cry. It's like, let's go do something about it. It's not too late. I mean, humpback whales were taken down to, I think there was like 8,000 humpback whales at one point. They were almost extinct from the whaling industry. And then when whaling was outlawed, they're back up to, I think globally, we're looking at about 135,000 humpback whales. Holy shit. Dude, they're back. When was that? We're doing great. That was like, I think it was like 90 years ago. I think it was the International Commission on Whaling. Holy shit. Because they realized we're losing whales on earth. And also the industry shifted. They used to use whale oil more significantly back in whaling times. But they were so effective that we came close to losing one of the most beautiful, charismatic species on the planet. Bald eagles were going extinct because of uh, DDT was... was DDT. DDT was a pesticide that was used um, widely. And it was a, it was getting into the fish populations and the eagles were eating it. And then their eggs were coming out too fragile to last. The parents would sit oh, on the shit. eggs and the eggs. Were, so bald eagle populations were plummeting about 40 years ago. And then with concentrated efforts, now, I mean, fixed I got three it. bald eagles living around my house upstate. I mean, so... We fixed it. Wow. And that shows you that we can fix these things. We saved humpback whales. Bald eagles just bounced back. In a few locations, like India has a great tiger program, Nepal, Bhutan. Um, there's actually places where we're bringing back endangered tigers. Shit. Tigers went from 100,000 tigers in 1900 down to like 3,000 tigers. Think about that. Picture if you had $100,000 in your account. And 97 you of to them to went
0: th- th- to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: the Tiger King guys are throwing them in the fucking oven. Ugh,
0: awful. Yeah. Awful. But they, you know what, though? That's so important. To paint that picture of hope, like you're saying, and, and like That's even hopeless, yeah. your your friend Ryan Tate, like yeah. shameless, great, not shameless, great plug here. Yeah, when he went there, it's only been eight years of yeah. vet Paul, and yeah. the first, you know, the first year or two, he's like meeting people, right? It's yeah. not they're not even doing the the work they get to do now yet, yeah. and it's like he went there. The rhino population in Africa was around, it was in the ballpark of like fifteen thousand rhinos, and today it's in the ballpark of like. 27, 28,000 yeah. in no small part because Thetpals lost zero animals along the way. That's one team. One team only. You know, they cover a lot of land, but they yeah. don't cover all of Africa. No. And, and this, look at what this, they and did. That's the
1: thing. There's teams all over these countries working. There's so many indigenous conservationists and there's so many different methods. And so like Africa, like, you know, I know people who are working with using bees as a deterrent so that elephants don't go into native communities and raid their crops because elephants mm. will come and rob you. That's for the next podcast. I'll tell you about the, the, the bandit elephants I used to live I've seen that with. before, yeah. Um, that was they, in
0: that documentary, the the ivory game. They had one of the elephants where they? it was coming and getting the farms. and yeah. the And this is the one part yeah. where it wasn't poachers and you kind of you feel for those people because they're they're just farmers yeah they're like they're they're stealing my livelihood if they do it again i'm gonna have to kill them and to the credit of the conservationists, they're like we do have to fix this yes that's fair yes
1: just like you know i mean you talk about like when there's like you have a tiger conservation area it's like well as soon as you have one every so often you get a man eater you get one with a cracked tooth that can't catch deer anymore and they're Mm -hmm. like dude those humans are super easy um once you get a man-eating tiger i mean you got to put it down You can't have a tiger going out and eating people. Yeah. And that's fair. And that's where it's like, just balance it. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to, you know, I feel like people with the environment, you either have like on one side, you have like crazy bunny huggers over here (laughs) that are like, we have to play Mozart for turkeys that we rescue from Thanksgiving. That's right. Yeah. And then over here, you have the people that are like, I'm going to shoot everything that moves, and I'm a conservationist.
0: How do we get there?
1: Yeah, we got to get right right in the middle. Right in the middle. Science. What do you know? I mean, look, I mean, we actually have sustainable deer populations in like New York and New Jersey. I mean, they're actually like, I see deer all the time. They don't yeah. have any predators. In fact, you could argue that there's too many of them.
0: There, there actually are. They're like you have yeah. to have hunters. You have them. to have yes. hunters, and
1: so I just think that that to me in the in the work that I do, I, I come across these people once in a while where they're like, "No animal should <laughs> die ever," and I'm like, "Listen to me." When I go to a to an indigenous community and they give me a plate of spider monkey, do you think that I turn it away and go, "I'm a vegan"? No, you take a bite of it because the 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 gringos that come into their community and go. <laughs> I can't eat that. (laughs) They're like, yeah, because you're fucking gringo. Go put on some more sunscreen. They think you're Uh, a joke. But if you can walk barefoot with the local people, if you can swim in the river and drink the river, if you can eat what they eat, then all of a sudden it's different. Then you have a different relationship with them. And that's what a lot of the... You know, I see a lot of these, like, PhD students come down there and they want to study batshit, you know, to get their their first published paper and stuff. And, like, the local people are looking at them and just watching them just slathering themselves in deet and just poison their bodies. And, like, the local people like, these fucking people. (laughs) They just sit there laughing, like,
0: fuck. And that's the other thing, too, because you have, you know, some of the other people going down there, they're not going to respect, but, like, a dude who literally lives among them in the middle of it and is just, like, a savage. Like, they got to, like... I'd imagine the first time you went down there it probably wasn't like that, but eventually they're like, Oh, this guy gets it. Oh no, they beat the shit out of you to try to get <laughs> you that.
1: <clears throat> the first time I went down there, there's this thing called the bullet ant, and it's widely known as the most painful insect bite on earth. And it's this giant one inch long I'll beast put it in of the an ant. Of the um, bullet ant stings. They sting you with their they hold on with their jaws and they'll sting you with their abdomen. And the locals we played bullet ant roulette they went all right they, they went all right Rocky they see an Italian guy from New York they go all right Rocky and they were like you put a bullet ant on one person's arm and then you rub arms with them and whoever it stings it stings and so I spent like two days sweating with a fever because I got bitten by this bullet ant like it puts you on your ass it's Jesus. called a bullet ant because it's like getting shot they're awful I've had like five or six of those over the years um, at this point I've walked barefoot so much with the local people that I have like rhino skin on my on my heels And so there's a trick you can do. Again, because the Amazon is such a complex ecosystem, there's not like, you can't just like turn over a rock and find a worm. There's no bait sitting around. Everything is either eaten or hiding. And so you have a fish hook and you want to get some bait. You got to come up with that. And so you either need to catch a smaller fish with your machete. We go machete fishing at night and then we'll we'll throw that in the river. But if you're really legit and you walk barefoot, you can take your machete and you can actually saw some of the callus off your heel. And i have I, I can show you this i can send you a Holy video of this shit so i saw the my skin off of my foot and stick that on a fish hook and throw that in the river and you catch your first fish little six inch fish and then you chop that in half stick that on a bigger hook throw that in the river you work your way up the ecosystem and then by midday you got dinner you catch a bigger <laughs> fish yeah but you start with yourself because everything yeah. in that ecosystem has to be eaten so you start with a little bit of payment from your own body
0: that is the circle of life it on sure, a whole sure different is. level right there. <laughs> it sure is. But we, we were starting this talking about like the identify or not identifying, like trying to figure out what the quote unquote tipping point was. Yep. And you were saying it's 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 hard to say. As far as like what can be done though, you know, the other point in there about like having the hope on it is so important. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately though, we do live in a world where... Tragedy, conflict, and disaster is what motivates yeah. the proper actions. So of you course. do still have to st- strike a balance with it. I mean, I, I probably said this at least six or seven times on different podcasts here. But like, if you look at the example Dr. Steven Pinker gave in, in Enlightenment Now, his I think that's his most recent book. You know, he talks about like moms against drunk driving mm-hmm. as, as like a permutation of this whole theory. He's like, you know if you on december 31st each year if moms against drunk driving send out an email saying hey congratulations we we dipped drunk drivers by like 20% last year great yep, job yep. people at home read it and they go oh it's going well and they're not motivated yep. to wanna solve the problem that's right so instead what they have to do is they have to paint the oh my god Seven hundred yeah. accidents happened yesterday with a drunk driver that killed somebody, and then people were like, "Holy shit! I gotta. Yep. I got, I'm, I'm motivated now to spend money on it." And so, I think you know, I empathize with that first of all because, mm-hmm. like, especially like in that situation, it's like a mom against drunk drivers is somebody whose kid got killed by a drunk driver. Exactly. Of course, you're going to feel strongly. Of course. But you know, how do we get it in a way so that people do see videos mm-hmm. like what you showed in the one, just the one we put up here? with the smoke and everything and and also bring it home because like I'll stay with the moms against drunk driver thing when people see that Mm -hmm. they're like oh that's another American that could have been you know my kid or my brother or something whereas when people see the burning forest the cynics like unfortunately may think of their head wow that's awful huh and go about the rest of their day because they're not thinking about what that does to everything you
1: know and so I, I try and stick a balance with that where I try and, like, you know, I literally try and, on like social media, I'll try and, like, do one, you know, one day on, one day off with the, you know, because I'll, the thing is, if I post, you know, here's, here's an ecosystem that's in full bloom and here's a beautiful picture of a pristine river, you're talking about, like, a 100th of the likes. Whereas if you post something where you're covered in ashes, running through a burning fire and screaming about the end of the world, people are like, holy shit, I can't believe this. And everybody shares it. And so it's like, well, how do you get that message out? And so it is a frantic message. But I think that for anybody that looks a little bit deeper, more and more from organizations like VetPaw, from organizations like the Andes Amazon Fund. I mean, there's all these amazing indigenous initiatives. People are doing work to save the environment. We have those success stories, like the whales, like elephant populations that have... Po- like elephant populations that have jumped back. There's so many times where if you can just remove the thing that's killing it, then nature will take care of itself. Mm. It's really it's really that simple. I mean, we have humpback whales back in New York now. Like you see them off the coast
0: of Rockaways. Well, that... that- points to the other problem though and that is that the world is big and different countries and different peoples have different cares right yeah. so you know we look at some of the climate initiatives and everything and certainly there's some level of stuff that that you know uh, let's say like corporations try to beat in for their own game yeah. and it's not yeah. actually really helping stuff but then when we look at like oh yeah we're trying to sustain this planet which a lot of people care about yeah it's very hard to then say all right we're going to govern ourselves to do this and then know that like china and russia don't give a fuck about that yeah you know and, and, there's and so there's a lot
1: of where the and then like corporate like the 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 culpability with environmental issues they keep trying to pin that on the consumer to keep being like refuse straws when you get a co-, you know nice coffee right. and it's like that's You can't ask people to. So, what are you saying? You are saying that every single person united has to not buy straws for five years until the companies stop producing them. So, that's not how it works. You have to make regulations that you know, outlawing styrofoam. That something is always going to be there. Limiting plastic. Um, You know, when we when we switched from VHSs to DVDs, nobody asked us. We didn't like have to petition for that. They were just like, "This is a better technology. We're going to do it." If it's in the interest of people, I mean, like anti-smoking ads, I mean, it's like, if you want to increase your risk of heart disease and cancer and everything else, smoke cigarettes. If you don't, don't. And they've removed cigarette ads. They've taken action against that because we know how to stop it. And so it's in so many capacities, we've proved that these things can be
0: done. It's just very hard to move vast numbers of people. And
1: there is a lot of us.
0: Yeah. And, and but the point you're making about like the styrofoam example versus you know like the dvd example when it went from VHSs to dvds you're right it was a corporate moved thing because it's like well this is better it's higher quality it's it's it weighs less mm-hmm. it's it's all this different shit so it's a better product so people want it when you're talking about some of the other stuff you know the reason that styrofoam for example exists is cuz it's easy to make it's convenient and people can throw it out easily right yeah. so then right so then when you're talking about ooh but let's do recycled sustainable blank 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 whatever yeah now it's it the the difference with the dvd is that it's less convenient for everyone including the end consumer who doesn't get as good of a product yeah like that's a, a, bi- a tough de- problem a biodegradable
1: to straw that biodegrades in your drink before yes. you're done with it yes um no but i mean in in so many senses though it's like are we smart enough to realize that when we deteriorate ecosystems we're literally hurting ourselves i mean like and and again it's a social issue too because who are the first people affected it's always the poorest people that still live close to the ecosystems um in low-income communities indigenous communities where they're still catching fish out of the river to eat so if those are getting polluted by mercury or if those are getting um if there's an oil spill from chevron who are the people that are suffering those people people in new york city don't care all their shit comes wrapped in plastic right and so it's like it's extremely difficult first to make people care next to actually affect any kind of change and so like that's what we're dealing with and that's why conservation is so multifaceted you need people that are doing podcasts you need people that are web designers you need lawyers you need scientists you need indigenous people you need activists you need so many different people to be on board with this um and honestly even like the fact that celebrities have come out i mean dicaprio has been doing a great job of like really putting himself out there as like a spokesperson for environment he was there I think he raised he actually went flew, he went and flew and met with Putin DiCaprio actually yes. went and met with Putin. This is before and, the war. Oh, this was this was right. like ten yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah, and you know he sat down. and He goes, "Let's talk about the pussy tiger." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I think there was something that uh, I uh, think his I think his I want to say his plane like had like an engine misfire and had to land. And Putin knew about it. And so by the time DiCaprio showed up there, he was like, "You were you were pretty much in a plane crash, and you still made it to this meeting." And he was like, "Mister Decapitate, you are a real man." <laughs> 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 but no, I remember that they had an, uh, like an affinity for each other. And then DiCaprio came back to New York and raised, I think it was twenty five million dollars in a one night auction at Christie's. Wow. And so it's like using that weight, that star power to actually and then and then it looks cool.
0: He well, that's the other thing. Like yeah. he actually does people give him shit sometimes about using like the private jet when he's all into climate change and shit. But Leonardo DiCaprio for a lot of the environmental issues yeah. really does put his money where his mouth is, yes. and and yeah. including on on some controversial stuff that yeah. you wouldn't, by the way, you wouldn't think someone attached to Hollywood would be willing to put their name behind, but I guess he's just that big. Like he doesn't have to give a fuck. No,
1: and he's he's he. I've seen you know he's been on the ground with different conservation uh, organizations. He's been in Indonesia in that Lissuor ecosystem. In the he what? Does, the lessor ecosystem, it's that that place oh, right. in Indonesia and yeah. in Sumatra where they have the rhinos, yeah. tigers, elephants, and uh, orangutans all living in the same fo- in the same forest. And so he's supporting these efforts, and that's huge because then it becomes culturally, um, people start focusing on it. People start, you know, and then you get like, I, I didn't actually see it, but I know that, like Zach Efron did some sort of environmental um, series. Like, you know, mm. everybody starts trying their hand at it, and then it sort of filters down into where it's like, oh, it's cool to be environmentally conscious. And then that then it starts manifesting and then you hope it doesn't get lost in like identity politics and like who's holier than thou with you know, I'm a vegan and I don't use straws and I bicycle everywhere. And in fact I threw out my bike because it uses metal and now I, you know, crawl everywhere. And it's like you gotta you gotta manage caring about the planet without making your life into a living hell.
0: And that's also why someone like you is such a good potential face for this globally because you're not the pita guy (laughs) you're not Uh, the you're not the like you're drinking milk that came from the wrong cat (laughs) like you're you're like you're sitting here fucking eating meat doing your thing and recognizing that like the ecosystem exists for a reason and that's so so important because you're real you're like a real person and people with with too many and that's with ryan too right with too many people that happen to be in this space sometimes it just comes across as like, all right, cool it with the tree huggery. Yes. You know what it's I mean? It's virtue signaling. It's yes. just like,
1: it's just like I, you know, and it, it becomes a competition. And to those people, I always, you know, I'm like, how much of your blood is in the Amazon rainforest right now? And how many acres have you mm-hmm. protected? Shut up. I
0: don't mm-hmm. want to hear it.
1: You know what I mean? And we can all, at this point, we're connected enough that we can all contribute. And, and I agree, definitely being a more sustainable consumer, definitely electing officials that actually know science. And care about the environment. It's mean, so every, hard, man. I mean, every administration, it's like, we protected the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, we're going to drill the shit out of it. We protected it again. No, we're going to drill the shit out of it. And it's like, it just flip-flops. And that's why, in conservation, they say, the victories are temporary, and it's the losses that are final.
0: Yeah. All, all it takes is the first person to be like, ah, no, we can let that contract go. Yep. They're eh, done.
1: Let's absolve that national party. Right.
0: We don't need it. I and, yeah. and I do think, and this is just my opinion, but... You know, for things, if I were you or someone else working in different levels of conservation, I would not even have on my drawing board politicians because no. the moment you win one, you're going to lose one too. Yeah, no. And it just, it, it's, you're never going to get anything there. It has to come from the people, it has to be motivated. And that's why we got to put a face on it and everything. But like, one of the things that I was so impressed with for Jungle Keepers and what you're doing specifically is that. You know, or you seem to know at least when I asked you about it, like exactly what is needed. And so for people out there who have been listening you to you go through the Amazon and we're going to keep going on that with a lot of stuff today. But before we get there, like on the ground, you had mentioned that you are converting mm-hmm. – miners and loggers and stuff but what goes into that and like day to day you and your rangers who are armed and dangerous everywhere you go like what are you doing like what what is this money that goes into jungle keepers what is it funding exactly
1: yeah and that's that's a very important point because a lot of people want to support conservation. They want to do something that makes an impact. But if you throw throw a donation out to one of these major conservation organizations, where's it actually going? Because exactly. I see billboards. I see high-paid staff members. I see all this stuff. And you don't know whether that money that you're giving them is just going to this vast machine that is a press machine. Mm-hmm. Or is it doing on-the-ground tactical conservation? And that's one of the great things with Jungle Keepers is that we can very clearly trace. I mean, you, you donate $5. You're talking about food for a ranger. You're talking... I mean, down to the boots, down to down to like literal gasoline for the motors to take them on patrols. And so we're, the good thing is at this stage that we're big enough that we're protecting a lot of forest. We're small enough that every single donation goes directly towards employing local rangers to protect their own heritage. And so these people are going around. So I've been going around with the local guys for years and years and years. At this point, Jungle Keepers, I mean, we've built this incredible team. And so we have... People from all over the world a lot of, uh, a lot of people from Montreal are with us mm. um, and we're actually there's a there's a tech entrepreneur named Dax de Silva who got in touch after the last Amazon fires and he he has like his, his company uh, Lightspeed that he founded is the competition for Spotify um, shopify mm And so he got in touch and he was like, look, what do you guys need to actually make this a reality? And he wasn't just talking with us. Dax was talking with conservation organizations around the world. I mean, this is a guy that sort of won the game of capitalism and he's going, okay, now how do I help? That's great. This is someone that loves nature deeply and he's going, because everyone's going, why don't the billionaires fix everything? Well, this guy gets on the phone with me and he goes, what do we need to actually protect this river? Let's start and so we started actually hiring more rangers and getting more boats and then sending them out and now we have a bigger area that we can protect.
0: And you don't really have to work with governments because like no. you said these are the places where the governments don't even go and everything goes.
1: Exactly. This is literally one of the most lawless places on earth. Like when we want to bring if we have if we have invaders on a piece of land and again it'll be like the locals will call us and be like look we just got no- noticed that there's loggers and they've cut down like three ancient trees and they're you know they're doing all this stuff. If we try and get the, the local authorities out there, the corruption is unbelievable. First of all, they'll notify the loggers that we're coming. Next, you have to wonder if they're gonna try and you know take bribes. I mean, it's so difficult to get this work done, but on the ground, we just keep hitting it and keep hitting it and keep hitting it and keep working with the local guys. A lot of the people that we're seeing now are guys that used to be loggers, and they're so hard. I mean, this happened with like Teddy Roosevelt. He was a hunter and then he started to see how. Yeah quickly this stuff was vanishing and he's like yeah i was a hunter but i love it and so when you see the hole start to drain start to go away you go no no no, no we got to protect it and so a lot of these old amazonian guys that grew up being loggers now they're in their 70s and they're like look i cut a lot of trees in my time but what's happening now is wholesale destruction and they're like how can i help and some of them are landowners and they're like can i add my land to your reserve mm. and they want to help create this corridor because they see their way of life going how many people do you have now We have – I think right now we have 11 rangers, and we have two indigenous female rangers. We have a few different – we're working with the local communities. We have a couple guys that used to work as loggers. Um, It's really an awesome team, and uh, that's where one of our guys, he's from this community that's further upriver, and he was actually shot in the head by an arrow.
0: Is this the – you sent me a text. So you're down there away from signal sometimes yeah. so you were here and yeah. then you were back down the amazon yeah. in august and I, I wanted to check in maybe like three weeks later and i send you a text i get a response back like three days later and it said i was just like how's everything going down there and you're like it's insanity near the cities the burning continues but i'm out in the farthest reaches messaging on a sat link out here two days back the uncontacted tribes killed three loggers their six foot arrows have a greater range than the logger shotgun I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, he just like, said, <laughs> What's up, man? I'm sitting there. I'm like, Oh, oh right. Wow. Yeah. So I guess the arrow went into that guy's head. Fuck. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no. So, and
1: yeah, and that, I mean, I was out. Like, I could show you on the map where I was, and it was the middle of nowhere, and they had a sat link. And so, like, I, I just, like, turned my phone on and, like, connected to the Wi Fi, and, like, two things came through. And it was like, You can't load anything, but it's just, you can send out an SOS or something, and
0: somehow your text message slipped through in the hilarious. middle of was hilarious. But that, I mean, that's the kind of shit you guys yeah. are, are dealing with. Because again, like you were saying earlier, just because there's yeah. so much info going today, I want to make sure people don't forget some of the stuff. But it's like some of these tribes, like they've never been talked to. So yeah. you are, everyone's their enemy. Anyone who's a human enemy. being is their enemy. No. So you got to be on, head on a swivel with them.
1: Yeah. And even, so there was a story where um, on the outskirts of Manu National Park, this guy, local guy, Um, started going into the jungle and like leaving them piles of bananas because they're, they're hunter gatherers. Mm. They're, they're, they're nomadic through the forest. And so he started leaving them piles of bananas and maybe like a machete, you know, they don't have, they don't have metal. They missed out on the wheel. they have never held a spoon. These are people that are out there. Um, No shoes, no clothes. And so he'd leave them a machete and some bananas and they'd come take it. And then after like a year, he would start being there when they came to take it and they would see him and he would see them. And then after some time, he was actually able to interact with them. And he, couldn't, he could only speak a few words of their language. But this What one, they speak? The guys on our river speak. Um, they, they're, they're called the Mashkupiro tribe. And so they speak some sort of, uh, some, some dialect of the Yine language. And um, But this guy who was interacting with them, one day they found him. They call it porcupine. Arrows sticking up out of his body, like several arrows. We don't know why they killed him. He was only there to help them. He absolutely loved these people, was advocating Uh, for their rights. He did something, or they interpreted something he did as a threat, and they killed him instantly. One of my best friends down there um, in 2004 was coming down a river as a logger. He's now a conservationist, but at that time he was working as a logger. So he's from down there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the local guys. um, Real hard ass. This guy named Victor. And... They ambushed some of his people. And by the time he got there, his, I think it was his brother-in-law, was on the beach, flayed open at the stomach. They would removed his testicles. They'd cut off his arms. And they'd opened his stomach to see what he was eating. And a, his wife had been with him when this to happened. To see what he was eating. To see what he was eating. Because we're that foreign to them. They don't, they don't understand. And just like a fish, they're like, let's see what it was eating. And there's no laws out there. So they shot him in the leg. They started the battle cry. They started running out of the forest and he knew he wasn't going to run fast enough to reach the river. So he told his wife, just run for it. She ran, jumped in the river and just floated down the Amazon. He got ripped apart on the beach. And so when my guys showed up, they found him, there's blood all over the sand. And when they found his wife, she told them what happened. And so they just had to like pick up the pieces of him and go. And there was arrows all over the beach. For nothing just to, because they were curious because they're scared of outsiders. And again, you can't and really- they know
0: it's a human.
1: They know it's a human, but you can't really fault these people for, for this type of action either because they're coming from times where they were right. so persecuted.
0: Right.
1: Um, so you have to think that how has that mythology like intensified over the years where like, you know, grandparents telling their grandchildren, we remember, like, if you, mm-hmm. if you get one thing from me before I die, remember that if those outsiders get to you, you're dead. Kill them first, shoot first.
0: And it's a tight enough community that that can actually work because they don't have... zero access. I mean, like, how big are the average uncontacted tribe that lives in, I assume, like, one place only? Like, what, like, their base, like, how, how big is it?
1: I mean, most of the ones that we deal with are nomadic, and so, like, I think as much as, as many as 20 or 40 in a group, in a clan. But, like, there's a lot of questions. How are they staying?
0: There's only 20 to 40 in a community?
1: It's, it's the thing is everything's under the forest. The Amazon is the great concealer of everything. So like we see them when they come out onto the beaches. And so when they come out onto the beaches, how many of them are still in the forest? They're communicating using Capuchin monkey calls. And this is another thing. One of my guys was that's out not there. their language. That's though. not their language, but they have like this like this like shorthand where they can actually communicate using different animal sounds. And they know what these different calls mean, and they have they have like a parlance between them.
0: Different animal sounds at the same time and patterns, or like, are they going to stick to like just the sound of I, X
1: animal? I, I can't I can't believe that we lost this video. But this guy had a he had a video when they they had made contact, and the tribe was there, and they had their arrows and they're pointing their arrows across the beach, and the guys in the community are trying to send them a canoe filled with bananas because they're like, look, we're friends, and they're trying to make an offering, like stop the killing. So they tried to send them a thing, and you can hear the tribes, and they're talking using monkey calls, and we know what a capuchin monkey sounds like. And there, was, what does it sound like? Uh, can't, can't can't do it well. <laughs> um, but but they're using these calls in the video on the beach, and they're like communicating with each other. And the other scary, the scary thing is that if you're ever camping alone in the forest, which is something that I started doing when I was young, there. Um, if you ever hear animal sounds that are not quite right at night, you get up and leave. Because if they're getting close to you and you don't, want, they don't want you to hear human sounds, they'll start communicating in animal voices. And so, yeah, there's a few guys that were out there and uh, they started hearing like sounds that were just a little bit off. You know, you hear like a laughing falcon sound. And he was like, that doesn't actually sound like a... And then he heard the, the capuchins from different areas. And usually capuchin monkeys are going to be all together in one spot. And he heard it from different directions, and he was just like he said. He climbed into the river and crawled like a turtle out of that. He said he went for hours and just to escape.
0: It's like a... I'll go back to the original example you used because it's just spot on. It's literally like we're sitting here mm-hmm. in fucking New Jersey yep. with all this, the mic. you know, yeah, the yeah. shit off Amazon or whatever. <laughs> you know i'm shit i've never been to a fucking amazon i don't know how any of this works but not that far away you know whatever mm-hmm. it is maybe like six to eight thousand miles whatever it is mm-hmm. there is a world that is essentially on a level of avatar
1: yeah yeah with and and i say that with because recently somebody called me out saying that was racist comparing what? With, i got called out you
0: know what don't just keep it moving don't don't even worry about
1: it <laughs> all right they uh good good call um Anyway, the, that movie to me um, did a very good job of communicating how like energy flows through an ecosystem and showing how beautiful it is. And right. it's, of course it's pumped up for the movies, but it's a perfect analogy because that's what's happening in the Amazon. You have, you know, the rain is falling into the river. You drink the river and then you sweat and you see the steam coming off the trees and then it gathers into thunderheads in the afternoon and it rains back down. It's like we have people up here being like, do we live in a simulation? Meanwhile, down there, you can see that you're a part of nature. It's visual. It's running through you.
0: Now, you had said this. I don't even care if we're jumping around today because everything's interesting. It's coming out great to me. So I hope it's coming out great to people too. But like you had said maybe 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, something like that, mentioned about the whole... I guess controversy around the man-made Amazon and this is actually as far as like how serious it is and the whole like intellectual debate. This is something that you and I were talking before this and I I was not really aware of but apparently there are a significant number of scholars and people that study the Amazon or whatever who are trying to say – make the argument that there's all kinds of evidence – That the Amazon was basically built by man because all these civilizations that were somehow or another wiped out made it like this, and we have evidence that those existed such that their argument – this is the craziest part to me – not necessarily like the scholars saying it, Mm -hmm. but maybe some of them too, but – the argument of the scholars is then being used mm-hmm. by corporations and by governments and countries who don't give a fuck about this stuff to be able to say, well, it's man-made. We can build it again. Exactly. That's absurd. Yeah.
1: They actually, that was the clip that was on Rogan where the guy's explaining to him and he's like,
0: yeah, there's all this ancient civilizations, way
1: more than we thought. And they're using, um, he, he said that Brazil nut trees are a domesticated species, which is incorrect. Brazil nuts are a wild species.
0: How do we know that's um, incorrect?
1: Because Brazil nuts are a wild species that grows in the Amazon, and they're one of the emergent species. They're
0: one of the keystones of the ecosystem. But how could it, how can we prove that it wasn't like bananas, which are like human engineered? Because we can tell that human bananas are human engineered. If
1: you you can easily look up what what species we deal with that are human engineered and domesticated, like a cow or a golden retriever. These are things like a wolf was the original, and then we get a golden retriever. Um, you have wild bison, and then we bred cows to produce more milk. We can direct um, an apple or a banana to have more fruit and to be sweeter. We
0: can breed those things, but there are wild species as well. And okay. how? But what, besides just like the proof of like what someone wrote down, like a researcher that we can look up, like what makes it so definitive that, what's it called? A Brazil nut a tree? A Brazil nut tree, yeah, yeah. What makes it so definitive that, like, yo, that was here fucking. Thirty thousand years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, and longer than that because um, I mean, I just looked it up. I was just like, are Brazil nuts um, a bred species? It's not. It's a wild species. It's a naturally occurring species that's deeply tied to the functioning of the Amazon rainforest. Right. So, that's what I'm looking for. So yes, how so? Because the, okay, this is a, this is a crazy one. Here's the Let's inter, do it. here's the interconnected stuff. Okay, so you have you have a mature Brazil nut tree, which again is thick as this room, up 150, 160 feet and they produce these pods. Now, macaws are eating these pods. Monkeys are eating these pods when they're young. As they get older, you get this, like, cannonball. It's, like, bigger than a grapefruit, and it's got a bunch of Brazil nuts in it, but it's got this hard, woody shell. And so these things fall naturally out of the tree and hit the forest floor. The only animal in the Amazon that has the jaw strength and the teeth to open those pods is something called an agouti. It's basically a large rodent. Hmm. Just like a squirrel, it opens up these pods, takes the seeds, buries them, forgets 95% of the ones it berries. So it's pollinating and spreading the seeds of the Brazil nut tree. But here's where it gets crazy. In order for the Brazil nut tree to produce that fruit, its flowers need to be pollinated by orchid bees. And so the bees pollinate the trees between male and female trees to make it actually produce fruit. The fruit falls to the ground. The agoutis actually spread it. This is a tree that is intricately braided into the ecosystem of the Amazon.
0: So there's really no way. It's not like a... No. Yeah. Wow.
1: And so you have these people that are saying, you Why know. Why do
0: they say that then?
1: Because then they get to pretend that their life is the Da Vinci Code. And they, they say, <laughs> there's, you know, read my book because I discovered the fact yeah. that there's a hidden civilization and I get to go get all this funding and all this attention. And look, they get press. I mean, I just, I just looked it up before we did this interview because I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. Um, but Smithsonian Magazine in 2017 put out an article being like, is the Amazon a man made garden? And you have this... It's one paper. It's one paper. This guy came out and suggested that the Amazon is actually a man-made garden, engineered by humans. And then at the end of the article, they cut it back and they go, yeah, but it also might not be. And they're like, they bring up another example again this is
0: 2.7 million square miles yeah
1: it's bigger than the continental
0: u.s man-made garden
1: it's ridiculous it's absolutely also just the complexity of the ecosystem it's an absolutely crazy claim were there indigenous cultures in much higher numbers than we thought yes
0: yeah we're gonna get to that but, but like scattered this around
1: the jungle does not mean that this that the amazon rainforest
0: that's a gross misinterpretation of a very small set of facts we can't even invent a way to make new trees sturdier today no. And we're and they're trying to say that like a bunch of people with fucking not even forks and knives were building a, a goddamn <laughs> 2.7 million square whatever it is. No, it's, it's big.
1: It's crazy. And also our interpretation for things changes. I mean there was one thing where they thought um, I know that they thought that, that a certain around Mayan civilizations that there were certain tree species that they that they cultivated more closely around um, civilized sites. and so they thought that but then they realized oh, those seeds could also be pollinated by bats. And it's mm. like in the Amazon, it's the same thing. When you walk around the jungle at night, there are bats carrying ironwood tree seeds because they have a fruit on the outside of the nut. And the bats carry the seeds. And here's the crazy thing. The bats will, will bomb you with them. They'll bomb you with them. They'll like literally a bat, bat this big, will fly by you carrying a seed. And to make you go away so it can keep eating, <clears throat> it'll actually release the seed
0: with the planned trajectory so it hits you in the face oh fuck that <laughs> no, i'm going out there with a helmet if you ever take me out there you're coming man. that's you're the coming. whole like see like uh, that's what i was saying to ryan i'm like ryan th- th- in africa it's all in front of you like it's yeah. the open valley terrain okay you see what's coming yeah in the amazon it's like you know no do i need to bring a gun like what are yeah, we doing you won't know what's around you until you physically see
1: it or touch it it's you're so dense i mean if you're walking off trail you're surrounded by plants. You're in an ocean of plants and you're 150 feet under the canopy. So you're like under this vast cathedral ceiling of green and then the understory and then the vines and then you're finally where you're walking this tiny little human. You're so insignificant. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. But these people saying that the there really is a yeah. huge danger there with these people... You know, one person can come out saying, we think there's more civilizations than we previously thought. And then that changes into, the Amazon was engineered by humans, which that changes into, well, then we can engineer it further. Let's just keep cutting it down. Let's adapt it more. It's not true. These are complex
0: ecosystems. How far back do they say?
1: Um, I think right now, the agreed upon arrival of humans into the Amazon is roughly 10,000 years ago, which is not that long ago. I mean, Oxford University is over a thousand years old.
0: But it is too. Because like it we is. think, when, when not compared think, to Africa though, or somewhere where you have right. like,
1: thirty thousand years of human habitation. Like. Dude,
0: it gets once the numbers get up there, it gets like so <laughs> stressful. But yeah, in the yeah. context of like world history, it's fucking nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. Like how old is the world supposedly again? Like there's a range, but it's I'll get the number yeah, on if know. I even I, try. Yeah, to I say don't I don't want to try because that's not my. Uh... But it's all it's, it's a lot more than that. It's like I mean, human
1: presence on the planet they keep cha- they keep moving the the goalposts. They keep saying oh we you know humans have been around for uh, you know ten thousand years hundred you know the the number keeps changing based on archaeological findings and then they'll say we discovered a mummy you know in the hills of Mongolia that completely changes everything and now we have to change the date that humans first existed and it's like. Yeah, because we're still learning. So you can't base how you manage one of the most critical resources on the planet based on somebody's hypothesis about what may or may not have happened in history. Not to mention that anybody with common sense, you walk through the Amazon rainforest and it's clearly not an, an a human engineered thing. If we saw banana plants all over the Amazon rainforest, well then fine. You say, okay, I understand that. But bananas came from Asia. It's a whole other thing. But um, it was just it was just when you, when you read something like that, <clears throat> After being on the ground and seeing how complex the ecosystem is, it's just such uh, a huge slap in the face to reality, and it just shows you how quickly the narrative can change and how quickly just like you get into these into these things where people are pulling you in a direction for their own agenda. And to me, that's just somebody saying, "Fund my career, read my book. I want to go play. You know, Hiram Bingham. I'm going to go explore. You know, find the next Machu Picchu." And yeah, there's, there's, there's sites all over the Amazon where you find bits of pottery and stuff because people have been there for thousands and thousands of years. But that does not
0: equal the Amazon was made by humans. All right. Yeah. While you were talking there, I was actually pulling up a couple articles on this because I think there's actually an even better argument to make here just rather than simply looking at these guys wondering what the fuck they're talking about with breaking down all the different trees that could have been created or something like that. And that is the fact that they are arguing for actually such a small number of things. So if we – I'm going to pull this over to the other screen so we can see it. There's two. But essentially what I mean by that is let's even say for a second these guys are right, the ones who are trying to argue that and make money on it or whatever. Even if they were right, it's such a small percentage – of everything that's in the rainforest. It's yep. like a grain of sand on a beach. It's like, oh, look, this grain of sand was made by a man. Well, yep. who, who fucking cares? The rest of it's not. The point is, because they can say, it's yeah. like a little lie can become a giant forest fire, yep. because they can say, oh, look, this was man-made, then the narrative to the average person like me who just hears that, like, oh, the rainforest was man-made, yeah. and it travels far enough that people it are like, oh, the so whole far. thing's fake, and yep. it's not.
1: Here, I'll take, I'll take your analogy. The You take... 20 grains of sand and spread them on a soccer field and then your hypothesis is because i found 20 grains of sand on this giant soccer field this used to be a beach it's like they're 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 inferring this massive
0: result of completely insufficient data right so i'm going to read straight off this article behind you just so that people can hear what i'm talking about But was it really? In less rhapsodical verse, scholars in the past quarter century have shown that the mythical image of untouched nature is just that, a myth. See how they paint that? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's a myth, the whole thing. Like humans everywhere, Native Americans shape their environments to suit them through burning pruning, tilling, and other practices, and the Amazon is no different. Look closer and you can see the deep impressions the humans have made on the world's largest tropical rainforest, scientists reported yesterday. Despite its vastness, the Amazon stretches more than 2 million square miles and has an estimated... Three hundred and ninety billion trees. This rainforest is hardly the untamable, unstoppable force of nature that the romantics opined about, says Jose Iriarte, an archaeologist at the University of Exeter. In fact, humans have inhabited the Amazon for roughly thirteen thousand years, which is similar to what you said, and have been domesticating plants for at least eight thousand years. So it goes on to say that there there's a number in here somewhere like farther down in the article where they talk about like eighty identified eighty five or something mm-hmm. different. I guess like tree species and stuff like that that could have been molded by humans. Number one, that doesn't change that it happened a long time ago. So the trees are old as fuck. And number two, that's such a small number.
1: 85 tree species that have been in some way bred
0: where you're talking about 16,000 tree species in the Amazon rainforest, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. That might have been in the other article. I remember the number 85 was somewhere. But either way, whatever it is, people don't even go with that number because I can't pull up where it was. I think the point remains, it's it's all about the narrative. Like, how do you not paint the narrative based on what these people are saying? And you could even, as you did, you could even argue the argument in its entirety. Like, wait, how is some of this stuff, how could that even be that a human change this like genetically to form this plant
1: no and again there's lots of there's tons of examples of us engineering i mean corn tomatoes potatoes yes. bananas apples everything that we that we really have as mainstream products we've engineered in some they're domesticated they've that we've improved their productivity but we do know that there are also natural species not everything is engineered and so they're incorrectly identifying some tree species as engineered which they are not and then they're saying that the, the prominence of these species means – not that it, – it could mean that in those test areas that people planted them. Sure. And there might be a higher prevalence of them there. But across the Amazon basin, it, it seems that they're lacking an understanding of how much space they're dealing with. Were there ancient civilizations? Absolutely. Does that equal the Amazon as a garden made by humans? No. That's an mm-hmm. insane logic train.
0: Yeah, and and I, I think also like when people are looking at it in the context of the whole capitalism structure on top of it that we've talked about a bunch of times today. But like when you're thinking about the different places who are funding it who may just passively be able to use that argument, all it takes is not having enough people speaking up to to call that out for what it yeah. is just like this. To allow that to continue but even more than that it's like how do you incentivize the people who they're paying to do this not to do it and that's why you guys are out yeah. there saying hey we'll pay you more money through our funding and stuff mm-hmm. to help us stop this versus actually like cutting down the trees yeah. or mining the gold yeah no it's it's literally what drives
1: someone to go be a logger is usually that they've been pushed out of their indigenous lifestyle let's start there so they're already victims, and then they have no other options. They're not good at integrating into Western society. And the things that they know are the forest. They know the trees. They know the animals. And so what you can get a chainsaw, and you can go, well, I know how to identify these tree species. You tell me, I can make, make how much? I can make three years' salary in like a month? Let's do it. And then, of course, most of these guys, what actually happens is that they don't make as much money because access is so difficult. You need that heavy machinery. And so you have these big companies coming in, And subcontracting where they're giving them the funding to bring in that heavy machinery. They cut down the trees. They bring it out. And by the time it all gets figured out, most of the loggers in our region only make about 40 Peruvian soles per day. How much is that? Which is like $15. Jesus. Per day for backbreaking, like brutal work, dangerous work. And when you cut down one of these trees, it's like cataclysmic watching it come down.
0: But some of these people, like plenty of them the danger you've been talking about is like they'll shoot at you <laughs> and i mean yeah, that's
1: that's when you're really far out there in the areas where the where the uncontacted tribes are but there's plenty of areas in the amazon where you're not at risk of coming into contact with those people
0: so you just walk up and talk to them and try to
1: convert them oh yeah no and that's and again that's what i'm talking about where not being perceived as you know, a sunscreen gringo where, where it's like if you're surrounded by a team of local guys who have credibility down there and you roll up on loggers, well, we can walk in there and just be like, "Yo, you guys got a drink? You know, we're not, we're not trying to our, – our thing is never confrontational. We don't mm. want – we're not trying to go down there and be like, you guys are bad. No, if anything, we're going to sit down and we're going to be like, hey, what are you guys doing? How much are you earning? Who are you working for? I mean, just uh, a few weeks ago, one of the loggers actually stopped by our research station at night and he wanted to charge his phone. Because he was actually keeping GPS data on, like, what trees he was on. I mean, these are, like – these guys are connected, like – and they were, like, are we allowed to charge here? He was, like, would you guys, like, give us – and we were, like, sit down. We were, like, come have some mm. coffee with us. And it's, like, we made an ally that night. We hung out. We shared some whiskey with him. And it's, like, now – I told him. I told him straight to his face. I was, like, look, I'm a conservationist. I'm trying to stop the logging on this river. And he was, like, yeah, it's a real problem. He was, like, it's what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's a real problem. And then I was, like, look. I was, like, can you?" Uh, I was like, if you guys are going to be milling any stuff, I was like, can we come in and see it? And he's like, dude, come on over. Like, totally chill. Hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. Why would you make enemies when you can just make friends? And then now that guy knows. He's like, yo, they let me charge up that time I needed it. They gave me some whiskey. We're friends. And then so when we come in there and we go, hey... um can we actually protect this land instead of you cutting down these trees? We've actually had it before where the guys have been like we're happy to do that. And we'll tell you this, you should get this piece before they cut that because they're looking at that one next. And so as you start that momentum, they start to go, "Well, why would we want to go do 6 months of backbreaking work surrounded by venomous snakes, getting rained on, starving in the forest and risking getting killed with these falling trees when we could just work with the conservationists?" It's literally it's easier, it's safer, it's better for them. We give them health insurance um it's literally taking them out of the shadows of the forest and bringing them into somewhere where they're professional protectors of the amazon
0: is it that hard though i'm just thinking like a sinecure because you kind of have to with some of this like if china wants to keep funding this because as you've (laughs) pointed out like they're a huge problem whereas like the u.s for example our issue in the in the supply chain here is that we're buying it right mm-hmm. and we're not asking questions about that which we deserve blame for but like on the on the actual funding it that's where it's more from china and some other places and China's just the biggest so let's stick with that example like how hard is it for them to economically just de- re-incentivize these people to be like oh fuck that you're working with the conservationists now we're going to give you this
1: um i think our biggest challenge is scale you know, we're doing this over, you know, 55,000 acres, but it's a teardrop in the ocean. It's such right. a small, the, the the Amazon is so damn big. <clears throat> that,
0: how many miles do you personally cover when you're down there?
1: Uh, it's hard to say because of the way the river goes, but I mean, 55,000 acres is a significant amount of land. That That's a huge, I'm trying to think in terms of how many Manhattans that is.
0: I'm gonna do acres to miles in yeah. youtube so oh, well, miles
1: 000. miles is gonna is gonna shrink us significantly because square miles are gigantic
0: yeah square miles that's still 86 square miles yeah and you're an 11-man team that's a big area yeah but yeah. that's nothing it's nothing nothing
1: if you look at it if you zoom out on google earth so you could see the whole amazon and then you look at the parcel that we're protecting it oh, i'll nothing. do
0: that i'll put google earth in the absolutely so yeah i'll give you the map
1: that. so you can see it like highlighted in orange and then when you zoom out and just when you see the 350,000 acres that's been deforested by the miners and then our, our little tiny thing. But on that little tiny thing are – in that little patch of protected forest are millions and millions of wild heartbeats, entire families of spider monkeys and endangered giant river otters and black caiman and jaguars and macaws and all of that incredible life and animals that we don't know the names of that science has not discovered are really? still walking absolutely there's new species discovered every year in the like
0: amazon big world. or very small both i really? mean they, there's some big
1: species we haven't yet yeah. discovered. oh my god dude there's there's 40 species of fishing bat in our region that have fishing been bat bats that rely on fish they they fly low over the water and they pluck fish out of the out of the streams and so there's 40 species that we know of of fishing bats in the amazon and that's just that we know about, and then how many how many ant species, termite species, and then like you st- when you start breaking it down into all the all the different phyla and genuses, it's like there is so much life out there, and don't forget people, just like the deepest parts of the ocean, people have not had access to the canopy. It's incredibly difficult to get up into the canopy of the Amazon, so people what do you mean
0: by the canopy of the Amazon?
1: I mean, the tops of these trees are one hundred and sixty feet in the air, so if you're a little you oh, know, fuck that five foot nine <laughs> human, you're talking about like a, literally a skyscraper. <laughs> And so there's scientists that have made hot air balloons and then they have like these big net floats where they put it down on the canopy because it's literally – it's like how do we go to different spots of canopy? And then here here's where it blows exponentially out because even if you have – let's say you have a river and then you have a research station next to the river. And so let's just say over the course of 50 years, you have a certain amount of scientists going to this one spot. But when you fly like in a Cessna over the Amazon and you can go for two hours without seeing any break in the forest at in, time, in like the really wild parts – When you think about the fact that no one has been to the center of that spot, you know, 30 minutes by plane from one river and you say, drop a scientist right there. Keep going another 30 minutes by plane until you hit another river. No one's been there. No one knows what species. You know who's been there?
0: The Nazis after World War II, they buried their shit there. <laughs> That's where Garen they are.
1: fucking teeth. They just fucking threw it out of they the plane. They took
0: one of those like SS leftover Cessna shits or whatever the fuck it was called, and they, they got a longitude and latitude, and there's literally half the world's wealth world sitting down there. I'll bet. Hidden under there. You gotta get some LiDAR. Gotta get something. Get some LiDAR. They gotta Scan find under shit. the jungle. But that's see, that's like that's foreign to me. Yeah. Like you explain I visualized it, yeah. right? Like yeah. I've seen movies. Right. Yeah. I think of like Lord of the Rings or some shit like that. But it's really like it's right there. Like you it's crazy to me that like you will fly down from New York to Miami, take a flight to Peru, yep. you know, land at an airport in a regular old country with mm-hmm. roads and people and shit, governments, all that, and then take a little drive and boom, you're in it. Yeah.
1: You drive off the edge of human presence on our planet. That's you're it. just in the And it's and it's crazy because again like that you leave society like we literally sometimes as we're going on an expedition we will like look behind us and you, you you go the world could have ended it could have been nine eleven. it could be nuclear war and you're out in the middle of the amazon for weeks on end and you know nothing about the outside world and there's actually this weird sort of thing that creeps up on everybody where we start to like get like stressed about it you almost start to mm. you almost start to forget because it's so real and you're Life out there in the wild is predicated on such like tangible facts. It's like you have to get clean water from the streams. You know, when it rains, you have to go. If it's the middle of the night and you wake up and it's raining, you have to go check the boat because the river's going to raise 15 feet. And so you have to, there's a lot of things that you have to do. And we're used to in society that like, I could go to the store, I could not go to the store, I could go later. I could be a lawyer. I could be this. And it's like you can make a lot of decisions. We have all these decisions at our fingertips because of the society we live in. And when you're in the wild, you're, you're, your life is governed by like the original set of chemical physical rules. And so like you're playing at the most essential level. And it's like you have to do these certain things. If you don't protect yourself at seven, you know, 6.30 p.m. when all the mosquitoes come out, you're going to be bitten to hell. You're going to get infected bug bites. You're going to die then you're going to get digested by the amazon. And it's like there's just this set of like things and a lot of I'm not the first person to to like discover this. It's like when you're out in the wilderness, there's just sort of this this and a lot of people find it it helps with like that that chatter, that uncertainty, that depression that people feel, the anxiety and it all goes it all melts away when you're in the jungle because in the jungle you're in this you're in this world where all of your senses are demanded at all times. So you're concentrated.
0: Have you spent time not even necessarily alone, but I'll even ask that, but Mm. maybe with a couple other people or something living off the land.
1: Yeah, well, that was one of my, that was what I wrote about in my first book was that I started doing solos in the jungle, which now Mm. looking back, you know, like when you look back and you just go, why the hell did I do that? I mean, You're killing dinner and shit? Um, I actually, at the time, I was trying to not because look, what I'm doing, I mean, I could if I needed to, but I was saying like, I'm voluntarily going out into the jungle and surviving for days on end. So... To me it's like if I'm killing game for that, it's like it's still it's still not it's still not something I need for survival. I theoretically could pack my food, so I did. I brought like dry noodles, nuts, whatever else, and I would bring like ten days worth of that. But ten days in some of the I would get dropped past the last place with a name. What do you mean dropped? Like I would ask loggers, I'd go up to some loggers, find them, but go real remote, go like three days out into the jungle, past the last village, past the last place with the generator you find some loggers working out in the real deep spots because that's where the big trees are. And you go, guys, look, is there any chance that you could drop me as far as you're going? Drop me there. And they're like,
0: what? <laughs> and could, they're yeah, like, yeah, sure. <laughs> they're
1: like, so you're, you're going to commit suicide? Uh, I'm like, no, I'm not going to commit suicide. I got, I, got a, I got a pack raft that I can pop out. There's this company in, in Colorado called Alpaca Rafts. They make rafts that'll pack down to the size of a tent. And so I pop that in my backpack. I got food supplies, I got a camera, I got my notebook, all that shit. And I would go out into the jungle for weeks at a time and launch these huge solos. One of the first ones I did, I was lost in a swamp for three days. I'm talking like a huge swamp. I'm talking like a the the the, the northern side of New Jersey types, like a swamp.
0: Where they bury bodies. Like huge. Yeah.
1: And um, yeah, I, had, I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt something warm on my neck. Mm. And I figured I'll turn on my light and see what it is. And I moved my hand. And this jaguar just, boo, just, just growls right into my ear. Her face was right here. And so I'm sitting there, I'm dead still in a hammock in the center under 160 feet of canopy in the night. And this, this animal, this jaguar is three inches away from my head. And she's going, just don't move. She goes, I'm in control. And she was just smelling me. She's just, she'd never smelled a human before because there's no humans there. And when she was done, I literally, I just could tell that she had left. I couldn't hear her breathing anymore. And then after about 20 minutes, when, like, my heartbeat slowed down, and I was like, okay, and I, I moved a little bit more, the slightest motion, I turned on my light, she was gone, but I, this thing was three inches away from my head, middle of the night in the jungle. Fuck.
0: How big was it?
1: I don't know, I never saw her. I mean, she you must have been, like... been big. She must have been, she was a big one. I mean, I'm saying, she, I don't know what it was. I mean, it could have been a male, could have been a female, but it was a jag. That voice is unmistakable. It's like, it's like
0: God's voice. It's like thunder. What what do they obviously like? They're carnivores, but what do they usually feed on? See, a jaguar has a limitation because
1: they're they're larger predators, so they have to they want to take down a wild boar, they want to take down a deer, so they're going after peccary, they're going after brocket deer. Whereas an ocelot, which is a smaller cat, an ocelot, think of like a like two times a house cat, not quite a jaguar. O c e l o t. They're like the the pound for pound champion of the Amazon because they I'll they can go in the, the trees. Of the screen. Yeah, they can they can feed off of lizards, snakes, birds. You know anything they want to, they can eat, and a lot of it it doesn't come with a risk for them.
0: They look like a fucking cat.
1: Yeah, they're beautiful. It's like a little. It's like a miniature jaguar. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they literally look, but they look like a yeah. they look like a cheetah skin, leopard skin cat. That's My friend, that's um, your friend right there. Yeah, oh, that's funny.
1: Um, no, but they're literally. That Pound for pound, they're probably the most successful predator in the Amazon because they can hunt everyth- everything and it doesn't come with a high danger value for them. Like a jaguar, if you're going after a deer, you got to worry about antlers. If you're going after a wild boar, you got to worry about tusks. These guys, they can just pop off birds, bats, lizards, whatever. And just like a cat, they're just the ultimate predator.
0: What are some other cool species people don't ever talk about from down there? Giant anteaters, man.
1: Giant anteaters are so cool. I ended up raising one. And
0: you raised a giant anteater. I
1: raised a giant anteater. One of my first years down there I was 19 years old. And this giant anteater, um, they're huge. They're bigger than you think. It's like a yep. German shepherd and with like yeah. I got rich.
0: out in the corner of the screen, once God. again.
1: Fuck. And uh on the on the ends of those feet, their nose is very delicate. It's like a cartilage nose, and they have this long tongue and they, they can eat ants. On the ends of those arms though, they have like these big Popeye forearms and then just like Wolverine claws. And so if a jag comes and tries to eat a giant anteater, it'll stand up on its hind legs, open its arms up, and just start slashing. And it'll, like, poke, poke in the stomach and just open that thing up. So the jags often won't mess with them. But also when a giant anteater stands up on its hind legs, it's, it's almost five feet tall. So I've had guys who've been hunting with their dogs, thinking they're going after a game species, and they come around to bend. One guy, his dog went after this giant anteater. It grabbed the dog by the neck, snapped the neck with its hand, with the claws. They walk on their knuckles snap the neck, the dude comes around the bend with his shotgun, anteaters looking at him eye to eye with its claws out, staring him in the face and starts slashing at him. He ran for his life. Giant anteaters are incredibly badass animals. Wow. And they, they only eat like ants, ants and shit though, right? Ants and termites, yeah. And so I had one, The <laughs> some farmer had actually killed one by mistake. He thought it was a taper. He shot it and the, the babies right on the backs of the mothers. Whoa. And they're like intensely bonded to their mothers. And so I... I was left with this baby and she needed to hug me all the time. So I had to carry this anteater on me like a mother anteater for weeks. And I was living in the jungle at 19 years old with this baby anteater taking naps because I literally I couldn't do anything. I couldn't like go do the other stuff I had to do because this baby was like, I need to be holding someone all the time.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So if I fell asleep, then she'd take the ant tongue, fire it into my ear. She'd do things where I I would wake up and I'd have an anteater tongue up my nose coming out my mouth because they have like a 12 inch tongue. And she'd be like, oh, "I like well, this fucking play? thing." Pencil, pencil, and super thick. But you had to be careful because her claws are sharp. So if you got her excited, she literally could rip through you, like rip your skin. But uh, it was one of the greatest things I ever did because a this animal had such a deep love. Like this animal was just the most emotional little thing. Um, she went everywhere in the jungle with me, and then also I got to experience the forest through an animal's perspective because mm. a lot of days it was just me and her. And so it was just me and this little anteater walking through the forest. And she didn't like it when I was walking up, like standing up like a human. My face was too far away from her. So she wanted me on my hands and knees.
0: Oh, you'd have to crawl. So where? I'd
1: like crawl next to this anteater. And we'd be walking through the jungle together, like finding different things. If she got scared, she'd come back to me. She'd try and crawl up on my back. I literally had to act like a mother anteater for weeks and weeks.
0: And then did you eventually into yeah. the
1: wild? Eventually, she rejoined the wild. She started going out for longer and longer periods until she stayed out.
0: It's pretty cool. It's kind of sad, though, too. Like, one day, she just doesn't come back. I mean, but that's what you want. That's the best-case yeah, yes. scenario. You want to
1: return a wild animal to the wild yes. where they belong. That's, you know, it's always hard, but it's like, you know, even if you're, you know, when I was a kid, we used to my parents used to train seeing-eye dogs. You want them to go become a seeing-eye dog, and that sucks because you, you raise this puppy, but they're going to go on to do their thing.
0: It's such an important thing, though, too. I've, yeah. I've known my, my aunt and uncle raised some seeing-eye dogs, mm-hmm. and it's, like, so sad when you got to give them up at, like, a year yeah or whatever but it's a, it's an amazing thing you're doing they're for somebody go, like, else to change someone's life yeah. exactly yeah so and, and it's like incredible like we think about the things we can see all the time like in normal society away from the rainforest we think about like dogs and cats and and all that but you know all these different animals around the world they of course they all have different habits behaviors and and you know ways they go about living but there's there are some key emotions that even on, on the ground level, tie everything together, like including us. And like with that anteater, mm-hmm. which I've never, I've probably seen an anteater at the fucking zoo like when I was a kid. Maybe, maybe. Maybe.
1: They're hard to care for because you're it's,
0: ants. It's like you, expe- like you had such a human yeah. experience yeah. through that, like through an animal, through something that none of us have ever even really been around.
1: Yeah. No, and that's what that's what's shaped a lot of my work. And so, you know, we end up talking about the climate and the Chinese interests and the local people and all this crazy shit. And it's like at the end of the day, the time I've spent raising a giant anteater or the time I've spent living with a herd of elephants. And it's like I won't even get started on how intelligent they are. Um, but it's, you know, we're not the only species on this planet. And my entire life, like the things that I have the moments that have made me truly like just filled with wonder have all been because of these species and getting into that level where you like see them in the wild and where you have interactions with them and they can't throw on a suit and go address the United Nations. I can mm. they can't speak to us. They can't be like, stop cutting down our forests." And again, I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of the great conservationists from Alan Rabinowitz to Jane Goodall have said this. Steve Irwin used to say it, that you have to be a voice for the voiceless. And it's like, in the case of wildlife, it's like, if a herd of elephants could talk, what would they say? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> actually, though, actually, though. Yeah. Like, actually. They, yeah, I wouldn't mean blame them. They, they, they have, I mean, they have burial ceremonies. They have PTSD from seeing yeah. violence. I mean, these, I mean, I once watched an elephant pick out a pregnant human. They know, I mean, think, so just like they have seeing eye dogs, they have dogs that can alert a person with, my sister's a type one diabetic. And so you could, you know, you always have to monitor your insulin. And so they have dogs that are yes. trained. They can actually sense the chemical changes in your body and they'll wake you up in the night if you drop too low. Now, an elephant's smell is far superior to a dog's smell. It's just like a dog's is far superior to ours. But they did a study where I think it was, there was a, they did they had two jars. There was one jar with 100 sunflower seeds and one with 117 sunflower seeds. And the elephants have like enough olfactory knowledge that they could tell... <sighs> Which one, just by the smell, which one had more, and they could grab that one. I've watched an elephant walk up. This We were living with a semi-wild herd of elephants, and uh, this elephant walks out of the forest, and there was like three people in a row. She said hello to one. You know, they tap you on the forehead. There's a whole greeting system with elephants. And then her trunk went straight to the stomach of this one girl who was Mm. like recently pregnant. And then all the other female elephants came in, and they were all touching her stomach because they knew that she was pregnant and they all were interested in it. And they were getting information that we can't even understand. They're, they're interpreting things that we have no access to. And so, you know, we judge animal intelligence by these laboratory tests. So, you know, can a, can a chimp solve a Rubik's Cube or some, some stuff like that? But it's like in their environment, they're solving problems that we can't solve. You know, mm-hmm. if an elephant has to travel, you know, a hundred kilometers to find water, it's like, well, they can smell it. We can't, they literally have talents that we don't. And it's like, I've spent my entire adult life the last 17 years, so immersed in the animal world that i that's become, and that's why I've only done one thing is try to protect this river. And that's why working with Ryan and seeing the work that they're doing is so crucial to me. Cause it's like, these are such important species and they're so close to being extinct. And the fact that people are willing to, you know Devote their lives to protect it. It's like knowing that there's a network of people around the world who have made that decision. that's saying we're you know it stops here. We're going to protect these species. Like to me, that's that's what keeps me
0: going. See, we gotta get. And also, actually, side note: Would you mind? Is your phone on airplane mode? I forgot to ask you that because it's it interferes with that cloud lifter. All right, cool. Because I didn't know if I was hearing something in, in my headphone. I don't want to find that later and have it all fucked up. But anyway, like if you think about. Like what Ryan does with the elephants at yeah. that point. It's not just elephants; it's rhinos, mm-hmm. it's what's giraffes, the, gazelles. Yes, but what's cheetahs. the one? Not armadillos. There's another. There's a more penguins. Yes, that's it. Pangolins. Like the, the most trafficked
1: animal on the planet.
0: Yeah. Right. So you see all the stuff he protects. The thing that elephants have that makes it so powerful when you tell it to, you know, somebody sitting at a desk in in Virginia. Yeah. Is that. You know, we—they're the biggest mammal. Yeah, they have eyes. You can see them. You can you can go online. You can watch a video mm-hmm. and see how majestic they are. I mean, the idea of like killing one of those things to me—it's it inconceivable. Just, it is totally inconceivable yeah. to me. And it's and that's a whole separate argument with the poaching and all that, which we covered in episode one seventeen, and we'll continue to talk about, but not to go too deep on that. More focus on like what it is. It's like, you know, they're they have not only tremendously better memories than we do i mean Mm -hmm. we have the phrase in a memory like an elephant never forgets and we and but they also they they have some of those things you talk about they have the burial ceremonies Mm -hmm. they they that you can see their emotion i mean i when i was putting together some content for for some clips from ryan's episode you know there's a bbc video of when there was like some sort of drought or whatever in Africa and mm-hmm. they sh- they captured it on camera where a mother has to make the decision like her baby is not going to make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you see this animal go through it just like a human being, yep. a mother goes through when when their little one's going to die and everything. And it's like, you know, that's how you put a face to it. And I think some the battle you fight, the reason I bring that up is because the battle you fight down there is at the high level, similar mm-hmm. to a guy like Ryan because it's over there, somewhere else, right? Yeah. It's not here. We have to bring that to the people. Yeah. Right. So you both have that battle. That's a hard battle. But then you have a second layer to it. The Amazon is exactly like that image you put on it with the Cessna above the trees. Mm-hmm. It's this enclosed place. It's not like open. It's... it's It's bright and beautiful and amazing and like Atlantis in there, but it's closed off to the world. So people, you know, they can go to YouTube and watch a video of an elephant walking through, you know, a field or a lion walking through a field or some shit. With the Amazon, it's like I'm sitting there like, wow, what is in there? Like I've heard stories and stuff, but how do you put the eyes on it? Like for trees, and that's the best example because that's the thing they're cutting down. That's the whole fucking forest. You describe it as one of these trees with 200 feet into the fucking air or whatever has thousands of species living on it. Not just termites and shit. You're talking, you're talking like you you could have, you could have literal like clans of like monkey communities living in there. You can have communities of jaguars like, like, like a skyscraper. Like you said, like different floors, different people. But people, when they're thinking about it and even when they see the video, they're still thinking of trees. And trees are so important. Trees aren't as empathetic as elephants. Exactly. They don't have eyes. They don't don't have have eyes. So how do... That's my question. How do we put eyes on what you do? It's not like there aren't eyes. These other... Jaguars have eyes. You know, these other species have eyes. But how do we have the power of, like, seeing a tear from an elephant on what you do? Because it's every bit and it's... I don't want to say one's more important than the other. But we're talking about something that literally regulates our ecosystem of the fucking planet. Yes.
1: And And you're right. Instead of one big, like, charismatic star like an elephant or like lions or rhinos or something, but especially elephants. Um, with the Amazon, it's it's a thousand small things. It's, mm-hmm. And so that's what we try to do is like show people. A lot of times like I'll cut together these montages of like the spider monkeys, the jaguars, the river otters, the butterfly clouds. I mean, there's just this 1,500 species of butterfly just in our region of the Amazon. And it's like, it's so colorful and so diverse. Um, it's just, you got to just show people what the, the overall effect is. And then get them to fall in love with that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking on it from like a.
1: And I know what you mean. I I'm, know what you're I'm
0: thinking because I, I'm I'm passionate about it. like getting to know you guys and and talking with you with you off camera and everything over the past couple months and seeing the work you do and the, you know that gives me an extra attachment to mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like wow, this makes so much sense, and yet it's not something. Like I said, it's something you hear about in school when you're growing up. Like, oh yeah, they're cutting down too much in the rainforest. It's like wow, it sucks. And then yeah. you go about life. You yeah. know, you have to have exactly. that. You have exactly. you have to have this. And not everyone yeah. who's listening gets to have you on speed dial and talking to them and, mm-hmm. you know, see what you're doing. The best they can get is right now with what but you're But the talking important about. thing
1: is, is that you see what you're doing, though. You're using this podcast, you're using your platform to help tell people about that. Yeah. And so, like, I always try to tell people it's like... There's a lot of people that can't travel to the Amazon. You know, some people I've I've had people message me and they're like, I can't give a lot, but we're gonna give five dollars a month or something. And it's like, Great, that's serious for the for the Rangers down there. Like that's actually helping us. And then, you know, if you if you tally those up, the each of those pre- people, each every person that's helping us do this is just as important as any one of us on the core team is because we couldn't do it without that support. Right. I could be here all day long telling every story about animals, every showing you everything and burning things, but if people didn't actually support us, then it, then it wouldn't be worth anything. I'm just some guy telling stories.
0: And at least like you've had a lot of success, like er, like actually not early on, like you've been at this for a while, but yeah. I'm saying like, yeah. you know, you're not coming here, operating off a budget of zero with no awareness. Like you've been around, your face has been yeah. all over the news at different points and you've you have solid revenues of money coming in, but it's like, You know, we're trying to cover two point seven million square miles of of space. It does take it does take funding. The the crazy thing to me is that it and I said a similar thing about Ryan's stuff, it's like it takes a lot less than you think takes a lot less than you think because these people aren't making a ton of money out there and the mm-hmm. more every time you pick somebody off and you convert them from yep. like a logger to helping you you are now planting a seed within their community to where yep. they can kind of convert other people and, and spread like the emotion of it.
1: Oh yeah. Dude, great story off of that. So this guy the, the same guy that um, the, the, the story where someone was killed on the beach by the tribes. This yeah. guy, this logger, Victor so when I met him he was a logger and we needed a boat driver, like, quick. Our boat driver couldn't make it. So we hired Victor, and we uh, we loved him. Awesome guy. Um, real hard-ass. Had been through so many survival situations in the Amazon. Had been through the military in Peru. And uh, the thing is, he just, he had this one bum leg. His, like, his knee was calcifying, and he couldn't walk. And so as time went on, he started working with us more and more. He was like, this work is so much better than logging. We invited him in. To, like, he was just became part of the family. But as his leg got worse and worse, he literally couldn't walk. Like he couldn't carry a motor. He couldn't provide for his family. And so we did this. We ended up doing a fundraiser on Instagram, raising 15 grand. And we flew him out of the jungle to the capital of Lima, where the doctors gave him knee replacement surgery. And then we brought him back. And so now he can walk around. In fact, I watched him play football the other day. Oh, wow. So we, for a guy that has to walk around the Amazon for his livelihood, we, we really did something to help this guy's life. And now, when we roll into an indigenous community, we got Victor on our side. He's like, these guys are here and they mean it. Yeah. These guys changed my life. And it's like, when you invest like that in people where you really, I mean, you know, they say, say biocultural cons- conservation. Um, when you really, but what that means on the ground is like literally making those human connections. I mean, each of these people that I work with are, you know, any, any of the guys that I consider part of my core team are guys I've worked with for like 10 plus years.
0: And that's, see, that's the value of the fact that, like, you know, you're not just somebody who got passionate about this learning about it and said, Oh, I'm gonna go down there with this plan and that plan and we're gonna start we're gonna get funding behind it and do it. You went down there without a plan. You went down there as a kid effectively mm-hmm. and you made relationships. You also learned the terrain yourself. Yeah. And then over time, some of those relationships, some of which it's like you're converting people from wanting to do that. Other times it's people who already feel the way you mm-hmm. feel. Now you're kind it's almost like with over the years and I mean this in a good way, like you backdoored it with, with Jungle yeah. Keepers and what you do. Because yeah. it's like, wait a second, we've already kind of been doing this. I'm just going to put the name of something on it now. And now I need all you who aren't necessarily going to come down here, but in places like America yeah. where we have people with some financial means. I need you to help us do this so that all the things that you're enjoying, whether it's you know that using that paper in the printer today mm-hmm. or you know building that house that's going to be up for the next 300 years... You can continue to do that and not yeah. worry about it because what you don't realize is it's running out.
1: Yeah. No, I, de- I definitely did had, – had that no I, – I ran into it because it was what I loved. I loved the rainforest. I loved the guys down there. And it was years before we, we slapped anything onto it, before we, like, realized that we could. That's the other thing. When you're starting out, you say the problem is so big. You're talking about, like, a global, planetary, mm-hmm. ecosystemic, systemic problem. The destruction of the Amazon and it's like you don't think as a as an 18 19 20 year old that you can have any effect on that but then having that awesome local team spending those years of just not even trying to have a direction we were literally just like bringing people to the jungle trying to support ecotourism and just we just built this clan and then that was what able enabled us to go out and say okay wait can we get organized can we bring in more people can we get some people who can actually help us because I learned to walk barefoot and carry a machete, and I learned how to take data on species and film. Those are my skills. I'm a, I'm a wilderness guide. These guys are local indigenous people. They don't mm. know how to work spreadsheets. They don't know how to do all kinds of – all all of the work that you need to do to actually be an organization. So we had to bring in people. We had to get funding. We had to find the people that could make that dream a reality. But it's like without that original investment of time with the people on the ground, you know, if I had showed up with a plan, if I was some – prestigious PhD student that's, you know, or professor that shows up and goes, this is how we're going to create this national park. And it's a different thing. This is starting from the local people and going out. And that's why the story that we're telling to the world, that's why we have that authenticity that we can be like, look, your donations are going right there. Our acres are going right here. And it's like, we know exactly what we're doing. And uh, having having the local team behind us is just like the coolest thing in the world.
0: How much of like the history of the amazon like it's in in its entirety have you really focused on because like everything we're talking about is is you and it's clear you definitely have a worldview on it i asked that kind of knowing the answer but not all the way it's like everything we're talking about is you focusing on what's happening there right now mm-hmm. and focusing on the resources that do exist and yeah. why we got to save it but like the rainforest itself we read off in an article a little bit ago that you know they're saying there could have been people there like 13,000 years ago but like how do you know a lot about like how long it took this thing to form or how much different it might have looked 2,000 years ago like um civilizations that we know have been there
1: i mean again the civilizations thing is a is a is a fraught topic because there's so many different you know you had the incas on the on the in the andes you had the incan civilization and of course they were interacting with the with the amazonian tribes But if you go further back, if you look at South America and Africa, they actually fit together. Yes. And so the Congo River used to flow into the Amazon and the Amazon used to flow in the opposite direction. This was before the continent split, before South America hit the Nazca Plate and threw up the Andes Mountains. How many years ago are we talking? i am talking about like hundreds of millions of years ago. And then, you know, at that point, the Amazon would have been an inland sea, have salt water And that's why we still have freshwater stingrays, because over millions of years, as the Amazon drained, you had dolphins, manatees, stingrays, a lot of saltwater animals that ended up staying and adapting to freshwater life. And then as the jungle formed, and the crazy thing is that you still have sediment from Africa blowing up and being carried by the wind across the Atlantic Ocean. And falling on the Amazon. So you literally have this 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 conversation happening between Africa and the Amazon, and then the moisture cycle of the Amazon, then going and contributing back into global climate.
0: The sediment makes it across the Atlantic yep, Ocean.
1: Yep. Each year it travels across from Africa, from the sands of the Sahara, travels across the Atlantic Ocean, and then the rainy season it gets brought through the clouds and rained down, fertilizing the Amazon rainforest. And then fuck. you'll hear people be like, "Oh, the Amazon isn't really the lungs of the Earth. It sure is, because all that bio, biomass—that's falling, all the leaves and sticks and twigs, all that detritus—is getting pulled up by the river and brought down in those river systems and carried four thousand miles across the Amazon basin, and then the mouth of the Amazon rainforest, which is thirteen miles across, just vomits. Just picture like a dragon. Just Wait, blowing. the mouth? The oh, the mouth of the river, like where the Amazon where it goes River meets the Atlantic. Yep." And it pushes water out, I think it's about 40 miles into the Atlantic before it mixes with the salt water.
0: Yeah, I've always wondered, actually, that's a a good question to ask. I've always wondered how that works because, like, you'll talk about rivers and they'll be like, some of them, like, sometimes if it's a small one and, like, Jersey, maybe that's a bad example, or, like, Florida, like, the Indian River or something, it's salt water. Yeah. This is, like, small, it's right there. But, like, then we talk about these other ones, like, the Amazon, where it's fresh water. I never understood why the salt, like, This is a really dumb question because I'm not a scientist. (laughs) But, like, why the salt from, like, the big basin doesn't just fucking mix with the fresh, you know what I mean? because
1: river—this is—that's a great question, actually. So a river is a drainage. And so you say, why does the ocean have salt and rivers are fresh water? Rivers, let's just say, start start at the Rocky Mountains. And so you have, like, Rocky Mountains and you have precipitation coming down in the form of rain. Fresh. Or glaciers. You know, fresh water. And that's going down these little tiny mountain streams. And then it'll come down and hit a bigger stream. And then that'll go into the Colorado River. And then you have it running through the Grand Canyon. And if humans didn't fuck it up and make dams, (laughs) um, you would have this giant river running to the ocean. And it would be bringing all of those minerals and grabbing tiny particles of salt over the course of millions and millions of years, depositing that salt
0: into the ocean, which is why we have saltwater oceans. So like... If I were swimming with a taste tester down the Amazon <laughs> and I started at the back of it, like closest to where it touches. At the headwaters. Yeah, I get yeah. it. You're using the terms. I don't know. But if I start yeah. at the place where it's like stopping on land and I was tasting, yeah. it's fresh as fuck. Fresh as, as I get closer to the ocean, it starts to get a little saltier. You're saying? No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. No? It- <laughs> I want to it get fl- so fucked up in the comments.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it flows in one direction. So the Amazon is... All right, I'll, I'll make this easy for you. So you have the Andes Mountains right here. I'll do it your way, actually. Okay. This is the Andes Mountains. It's flowing down off the Andes Mountains through the little streams and then it hits the, the Amazon Basin and then that's when you have rivers like the Little Las Piedras like mine... And then up here you have Iquitos and then they all move across the basin and they join up around, I would say like around like Manaus. They have all these larger and larger rivers. And then finally you get to the Amazon proper. Yes. And Amazon proper is a giant river. I mean, it's the, I think from the mouth of the river into Iquitos, it's like the largest inland shipping port. Like it, you can bring ocean liners in there, but when you reach the mouth of the jungle, all of that water is charging out into the Atlantic for 40 miles before it even mixes with the salt water. That titanic mass is just the inertia just takes it out into the ocean.
0: So the mouth, which meets a bay in
1: the Atlantic, so like... Just picture picture pouring water, picture pouring like coffee straight into like a pool. It's just like, it's just yeah. charging in, but there's none of the pool waters coming back into
0: the coffee. So now I'm getting really technical with this, but I think people will follow. Yeah, yeah. So I'm making like a V, like it's the mouth of it, right? Yes, yeah, so it's flowing out. Literally, let's say there's a house on the corner of where the mouth meets the river. <laughs> okay. Right? And then there's a beach just to the right of it, yes, like yeah. literally 50 yards that way. Sure. If I go swimming on that beach, that's the Atlantic Ocean that's coming right. in.
1: That's right. So it's literally like a line almost. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. And so other than like the eddies and the the little, the little mixing that happens on the side, that that river current is charging out into the Atlantic. And all of that, again, the sticks and leaves and the detritus, all of that biomass that the Amazon is releasing in the rainy season is coming out of that mouth into the Atlantic Ocean where phytoplankton is finally releasing all that phyto what? phytoplankton. That and was so you a have Bob character, I'm like, yeah.
0: <laughs> plankton.
1: Yeah. And that's how the oxygen is actually finally being released into the atmosphere. Um so the a- Amazon is quite literally breathing out. Like its exhalation from the mouth of the river is what's pumping oxygen into our atmosphere.
0: And this shit used to touch the Congo.
1: Shit used to touch the Congo. And
0: what's the river there? The Congo. That's where they made like Heart of Darkness, or like yeah, that's where exactly, were, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. That's that's the 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 other jungle. Wow, and they're literally like sisters of each other. And everything in the Amazon is very feminine based. I mean, look, the reference, the river Amazon is based off of the, I think it was a Greek mythological tribe of women who the Amazons, the single-breasted women who had the bow and arrows because mm. they, um, and even for the native, and that's more of a that's more of a European sort of mythology, and then for the native. Uh, creation origin stories you have that it was the anaconda mother that carved the shape of the rivers across the land and again the anaconda everything is the females the big the life-giving the mother um so everything everything in the amazon is very feminine sort of like god it god is a woman sort of in yeah in the amazon it's very it's it's that's just the energy of the jungle and even for when you're on ayahuasca or something um, that's where that's that's the voice in which the Amazon speaks.
0: It's and and it goes back to like the top level of it too. Like we call it Mother Nature, yeah, right. And when you think of Mother Nature, it's actually it is kind of like make up a word here, but like oxified by something like like a like a being like the rainforest. Like that's probably. 2.7 million square miles. I'm trying to think of like other natural resource like areas in the world. I mean, that's got yeah. Is there anything bigger than that?
1: Uh, I think the boreal forest in in Russia is the single biggest forest of any type.
0: Is there fucking anything in there though?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, dude, they got they got Siberian tigers and
0: Well, I was going to say like where is it? Like is that all the? are you talking, I'm talking I don't about, know like, the where whole, that is.
1: Like picture on the on the level that like Alaska's on, like that level in Russia. Like high up there in the north. Yeah, Yeah. like that forest um, on the far east of Russia and like Kamchatka, there's, I mean, dude, if you ever want to read a crazy nonfiction book, The Tiger, I think it's by John Valiant or Vailant. Um, But like there's a a boreal forest where they have like snow leopards. um, No, Yeah, they have snow leopards. They have the Siberian tiger. And then there's like wolves and grizzly bears. Hmm. And it's like you have tigers and bears and wolves all competing in the same ecosystem and there's snow. It's one of the wildest places on Earth.
0: Yeah, when I say, like, is there anything in there, I'm, like, I'm thinking from, like, a number of types of species. Oh, level. no.
1: Abso- no, 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 no. Yeah, it's no. got to be smaller,
0: because yeah. it's not.
1: Dude, I have I have a map I could show you where it's, like, it's planet Earth coded for vertebrate species diversity. And so, in a place like that, where you have, like, 16 miles of forest before there's, like, one raccoon. Yeah. And, like, in places like that, it'll be, like, cool blue. It's almost like um. What's it called? Thermal imaging. And then when you get to the Amazon, it's like bright red because it's the amount of species per square acre is just unbelievable. Where there's just species on top of species on top of species.
0: I don't know how this ties into sustainability of the planet. Like the science there, when I'm getting to like what I'm about to say is confusing to me. Like, because I haven't heard people talk about this. But a few weeks ago, I don't know how the fuck this happened, but this happens because I have ADD. Like, I'll sit there and this random rabbit hole will yeah. form. And the one that formed was, if you look at, like, the maps, I started going on, like, Google Earth. I think it was because, like, I saw Greenland or something. Like, yeah. I saw something like, oh, such and such, like, Denmark owns Greenland or some shit like that. I was like, wow, why the fuck is that? And so then I was looking at the Greenland, like, like uh, what's, the, what's the term, like? where they show the terrain, where you can see... Like a like, topographical map. Yes, yeah. topographical map, exactly. I was looking at that, I'm like, the whole fucking thing's snow. Yeah. And so then I started looking, like, all along the northern latitudes, and I'm like, I wonder what the farthest towns up that, like, exist are. And I found some at, like, 88 degrees latitude. But for the purposes of arguments, everything above 70... Yeah. Like, I'm looking at this... Sometimes you could, like, look the the little yellow man on the Google map... I'm like looking at the town, like once you do Street View, and I'm like, people live there? I know. And there's like, you know, a hundred people. But then I started looking at all the land and I'm like, look at all the unused land on this Earth. When we figure out how to heat that without ruining the planet, and I'm talking maybe that's tens of thousands of years from now. the world population and the resources potentially and now you're getting way above my pay grade it's going to be absurd whoa, whoa, whoa so sorry 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 explain this one so you said you said when we can heat that like i'm talking tens of there. thousands
1: of years from now see i i disagree with you 100% there on this good one. i
0: have no idea what i'm talking about so
1: <laughs> i really feel like um, one of the things that we've lost is the is the understanding that the the earth you know people have like gaia and stuff like that but the, gaia Gaia is like the the idea that earth is like a single large living organism and just like we have like a um a microbiome in our stomach like and that we have bacteria living in our skin like we're we're not just a human we have lots of other like tiny organisms living in us <laughs> um but that the 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 earth i think that we we've gotten to this place where we've we have such a customizable life that we've started to think that everything on earth is customizable and that's why Again, I feel like where people are, are getting they're like losing the plot because if you talk to a, a villager in rural Africa, they they don't have any sort of any of this sort of like modern identity crisis. They they know exactly what what where the boundaries of reality are and they and they live comfortably in that. And they tend to live in a way that's a lot less anxiety-ridden than the western lifestyle. Yes. And I think that the fact that you need to have a clean river to drink the water it's like a simple fact we can all agree on that one um you know and when it's filled with salmon and once a year they come up river and lay their eggs and then they die and then they they fertilize that entire ecosystem and then the plants grow and then you have better life and you can you can fish for salmon you have food there and it's like we've forgotten that these things are not actually like yeah we can make a theme park we can put an indoor skiing place in dubai like sure but in terms of like warming up places
0: where there's <laughs> snow I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. <laughs> all right, that's a little bit of a weed thought, but still, <laughs> like if, I'm, I did say, tens of thousands of years, tens no. of thousands of years from now, when we all have jetpacks and Neuralink, and yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm saying. Because one thing that, about humans, yeah. they love colonizing, man. That never ends. They love when they once. Th- here's the thing, though. There has to be a reason for them to do it. Yeah. So, like, th- no one's gonna go colonize a desert because there's fucking nothing there. Well,
1: go talk to Elon. He's obsessed with with colonizing Mars, a dead planet.
0: He's like, allegedly.
1: He's like, we have to. Oh, (laughs) yeah, allegedly, because we've only seen one side of it. Allegedly, Um, but yeah, no. He's he he said that he had this quote that I loved. He goes, "We have to go colonize Mars." He goes, "It's no different than when the explorers went out to find new continents." First of all, the explorers went out to find new continents. There were already people living there, and there was already ecosystems and resources and clean water and and animals to eat and crops. So it's not the same thing. There's no Native Americans over on Mars. There's no there's no one to take care of you
0: on mars but that's where that's But there's 100 people living in quinip something they're fucking up at 88 latitude there are 100 people there
1: dude you ever watch like alaska state troopers like oh my god there's a i think it's a national geographic show but they literally it's like cops but in alaska Hmm. and they'll get a call and they'll be like yo a polar bear just ate somebody (laughs) uh get up here and like these cops will have to take a plane to this village and actually more often than a polar bear it's usually just like a domestic violence dispute and they go to these godforsaken villages where there's like a couple of people living in trailers at the edge of the world yeah. on the edge of the ice. And, yeah. you know, there'll be like an Inuit community.
0: That's what I was saying. I'm like, what do you do? There was one, there they was li- seals. That's the- all they do. There was literally yeah. like a Long John Silvers there. I'm like, no. what the fuck? Like, what? We- it was like a Roy Rogers or something. Like, you just see this town of like a 100 people. Yeah. There's nothing within a thousand miles of it. It's crazy, right? And there's like a business there yeah. and a UPS store. I'm like, yeah, and I think like a gallon of milk is like $27. Who like, the fuck yeah. is flying there? Like, there, does money even exist? Is it
1: a thing? Dude, there's a lot of people that live out in these crazy places. I mean, the, the guys, some of our rangers, and bringing it back to the Amazon, that live in communities where like to get from the nearest city out to that community takes five days by boat. And so, how
0: fast? 30 miles an hour? Uh, 25?
1: Let's, let's call it 30 miles an hour. Okay. Um... And it's like, that's, you are so far out there. You're talking about like a broken bone or any other, I mean, I was there just uh, a couple weeks ago, a woman had a baby and like, she just had a baby. Like it just, it came out and it was on the ground and they like, put a towel down. And actually at first, I think the, at first she didn't know she was giving birth at that moment. It was kind of a surprise. And they just like, the baby was just laying on like these sandy boards of wood, just like rainforest trees just cut into boards. And the mother, they were she was dealing with herself and it was so different from what we have. Because we have like doctors and nurses and the baby comes out and you have to get it on the mother and we have to do all these things. They place the baby on the ground. And they're like, we'll deal with you in a second. <laughs> this baby just got born. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I, I, I distinctly, I was, like, I was like, is this, I was like, is anybody, I was like standing next to this baby. He's like, nobody step on this baby. And I like, she was like going like this and I like reached out and touched her finger and I was like, I'm the first person that she said wow. hello to. And I was like, holy God. Like, but they were, the mother was like, yeah, she's like, all right. She's like, I had the baby and she called and all the men came in. But she was very like, she wasn't like, oh my God, I just did this thing. She was just like, guys, it's done. You can come in. And everyone started pouring drinks and walking around. And it was like, then they picked up the baby, cut the umbilical cord, and it was just, it was so... Oh,
0: big. the umbilical cord's still chilling. Oh,
1: dude, I'll show you the picture. It's like the yeah. umbilical cord's coming out of this baby, and the placenta's laying right next to it. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> mm, um, but it was just, it was so different. It was not, like, treated with the, the, this wild reverence. It was just like, dude, yeah, we had another kid. It was I, just like another, it, it was just different.
0: It's not even like this stuff is an island either. Like, we can all think of Castaway with Tom Tom Hanks. He's, yeah. on, he's on a fucking island somewhere. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're fucked. But, like, you go deep in the Amazon, it might as well be.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You're I mean, 100%. Like,
0: you know, you better, if, if you want to get out of there, you better just plan to start walking like your Forrest Gump, another Tom Hanks character, right for 20 days and hope that you don't get eaten along the way. Like, that's um, your best shot.
1: I'll give you this example. I was, we were living out at the research station and out there for like three, four the weeks. research station. So the guy that I started working with, this guy, JJ Juan Julio, um, his, the original thing that we had was this little tiny research station. And we used to have scientists come there and we'd allow them to do research in the jungle and we would bring eco tourists there. Um, but I was staying there for weeks on end doing a camera trap study. And, uh, we had like a sack of rice and we had two, like we had like two dozen eggs and then you have like some onions. But it's like, how long can this stuff last? There's no refrigeration. And so like week one, you're living large. You're living great. You still got fruit and everything. But in the jungle, you got species of weasels that'll steal all your avocados. We have an avocado tree. But as soon as they're ripe, the animals steal them. The monkeys come and steal all our oranges. And so it's like, we don't have any, any say over <laughs> this. And so by like week two, you're pretty much eating rice and eggs. Yeah, you, mm. you cook some rice in a pot, you add some salt to it, and then you crack an egg you got rice and an egg, okay? You got your carbs and your protein. By week three, a rat got into the rice and mm. like swam around through this bag of rice and just contaminated it. And then it all it all got moldy because he took a shit in the rice. Oh, nice. And so by week three, there was no more food. And at the time, we didn't have a boat. The boat was coming on week four. And so it just was this like steadily declining. And then we started, we were like, okay, we have to stop doing the work we're doing, like the research. And we got to start surviving and so we started fishing and it's like but then it rained a lot and the rivers flooded and then the fish don't bite when that happens and so like little by little like we're on an island we just started seeing our food go down and down and down and finally we ate like the last two cans of tuna that we found under a bed somewhere and then like the literally the last three days there was no food did you have a gun with you
0: no We'd You're a Sicilian from Brooklyn, and you didn't have a gun in the I middle of the fucking Brooklyn. Amazon.
1: <laughs> Come on! No, we had no gun with us, and so what we did in the end was we literally took an axe and cut down a balsa wood tree, which is just a you know quick growing pulpy tree that floats. A pulpy tree that float. Wait, hold on. So do you know. ever see ever hear of a balsa wood plane? No. Okay. Well, balsa wood is, a, is a, a a type of wood that has a lot of air in it. It's very light. Like you could pick up a big log and you look like you're crazy strong. You look like you're like huh. the Hulk because it's like a, a log is bigger than a, big, bigger than a dinner plate. Like if that was an oak log, like an eight-foot log, you couldn't lift that for shit. You couldn't even lift one end of it. This, you can like throw it up and down. It weighs mm. nothing, but it floats really well. And that's what the local people make their rafts out of. And the crazy thing is this comes with this – it comes with free rope. So you cut down a balsa wood tree and they grow quick. So there's like, there's lots of them by the riverbank. We cut this balsa wood tree and you rip some of the bark off and then you could tie them together and you could like make a raft. And so we took two logs from this one tree, cut the tree in half, put the, doubled up the logs, tied them together, took our bags, our backpacks and put them into garbage bags. And then me and JJ held onto the balsa wood raft and floated down the Amazon river for eight hours until we got to the nearest community. And then there we were like, "Hey guys." And then we got on a boat and then we got on a car. But it was like there is no transportation out there. You are literally in an island of jungle.
0: And what if the wind starts going the other way? And- well,
1: the river flows in one direction. That's good. Always. It's not the ocean, yeah, yeah.
0: Right.
1: Um the river just the river I'm from
0: Jersey, man. Dude. Listen.
1: <laughs> rivers in Jersey are not a good thing. I've had terrible experiences with rivers in Jersey.
0: You're going you're you're going to need to watch me when I when I come down there cuz anything that moves, I'm fucking shooting it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not dying in the Amazon. It's it's just so cool to me, though, because, like, I haven't I, built this podcast from, like, just an idea. You yeah, know, you get yeah. more and more just wide-ranging people in here yeah. doing crazy shit, and it just dawns on me, like, when you were coming in today, I'm like, shit, you know, we had Ryan in here who's, like, on the ground in Africa every day. Mm-hmm. And now I got a dude who just flew in from the Amazon like a week ago, and he yeah. lives down there. Yeah. it It makes this big world... And it, it, it puts it in New Jersey, like with me at a fucking <laughs> yeah, table. Yeah. At the same time, though, it's still so far. You know, it's like a yeah. great paradox because you tell me this shit and, like, we laugh because I have no concept of it. I'm, like, trying to – I'm doing my best to picture yeah, it. You're doing a yeah. great job. But, you know, everyone out there listening, chances are most of the people, they're with me. They're like, yeah. this sounds fucking wild, no, man. No, and that's
1: why showing people – that's why social media has been such a huge tool for us because it's like unless. I mean, look at what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, the mountains, and then the river goes this way, and then it mixes with the salt over here. It's like, (laughs) and then the the tree has another type of tree that eats it, and then the monkeys live in that. And it's like it's too much abstract weirdness for people to, unless you show them. And so that's what, you know, being on the ground with the guys and being like, look, this logger named Victor can't walk. If everybody gives five bucks, we could raise all this money, and we raise 15 grand in like 10 days. Yeah. And we got this guy to start It's like you show people the, the monkeys that we're rescuing. You show people the ancient trees. And it's like constantly being able to communicate with people. That to me has been a huge help. That's how you reach people. It's like constantly putting out that stuff and showing people, yeah, the Amazon really is burning. We really can save it. And here are the ways we can do it. And it's like just boom, 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 and just hitting around with that. And so now it's like at this point, I feel like I'm at a phase where I'm probably going to be spending less time in the jungle And a lot more time doing this, which is getting the news I have to at some point. Because I've spent the last 17 years down there. And I'll tell you, like, at this level, it just becomes like when you're in the field, it's like there's just, just messages piling up and there's just like opportunities to talk to people that can fix there's so many people with resources out there. Yes. Um and it's just a matter of reaching enough people. I mean, look at like if we get if we reach, you know what? Three hundred thousand people and get them to donate a hundred dollars each. It's like that's thirty million dollars. We Fuck, could pro- yeah. we could protect the entire river for thirty million dollars. I it's know like you w- would
0: happen. I know you want to be down there all the time. Like if it were up to you, you just yeah. do that. But but. To me, if you can strike a happy balance of it and and actually see the effect that that gets to have by doing things like this yeah. and talk, not, just, not just going up to all these rich people and be like, give me money. You know what I mean? Like actually putting like a face to it, telling yeah. the story and then getting that to happen. I think the gratification of when you are down there mm-hmm. and get to go do it yeah. is just times a hundred because yeah. there's like, you can feel it. You can feel like you're coming down there with like a fresh... A fresh sack of hope every time when you're yeah. coming down there with oh, new yeah. funding to add resources to the project. It's yeah. a great
1: thing. And there's pretty much limitless potential to do this. The only variable is how many people know about it. Because the more people that help not not yeah. everyone's gonna help. Out of a hundred people, maybe one will help. That's big. But it's though. like, but there you go. There you go. That's, That's all you need. And it's like we can and have to do this. It's like it's just can't sleep at night man i have like i have dreams of trees going down i've seen it happen too many times
0: yeah you you kind of like you have the vibe of someone who like when i talk to people who spent years at war in different war zones you have a similar vibe like seen some shit man like wow Uh, yeah i mean but you're still fighting you know what i mean like you have that like just soldier mentality with it it's Mm -hmm. pretty cool
1: yeah i mean i uh, sometimes i like fantasize about doing anything else because it's like I've only ever done one thing. Yeah. You know, I talk to my friends and like, oh, I used to do this, and then I, work, I went to this job for a while. I lived in this place for a while. It's like I've just done this one thing. I've been like, guys, stop cutting this down. Stop cutting this down. Please <laughs> stop hurting my friends. Like, and I mean the animals. Like, um, just on and on and on. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not good for the human brain to feel like the things that you care about are being dismantled and burned at all times. And so yeah. like, yeah. So it's not. It's not a super healthy way to spend your time, but it, the, the benefit of what gets protected is, is worth it.
0: Saving the world, potentially. But, uh, I, I mean, I've said this earlier. We're, we're going to have to do another episode with you at some point to even try to scratch the surface of some things. But one thing I did want to ask about today, and we can talk about it more in the future, but I didn't want to get you out of here without at least like trying to get some background you knew, was that lost city of Z. Yeah. I was asking about that, like, right before we were on camera and we stopped. How much do you know about that? And can you tell people, like, what that is?
1: Lost City Z was this book that came out. Uh, the author was David Grann. And it told the story of Colonel Percy Fawcett, who is this legendary, like, the last of the, of the Victorian explorers. Mm. And he just would go out into the Amazon, and he was running into these uncontacted tribes, and he would, like, fearlessly walk up to them. They'd literally, like, shoot an arrow, and he'd, like, dodge it and then, like, do a funny dance or, like, sing at them. And, like, he would – he kept getting through these situations. He was convinced that he was going to find the lost – city of Z this golden city in the Amazon and this is again tying into those stories that we were just talking about where people have this they have this El Dorado myth stuck in their head that they're out there there's this city and we're gonna get rich and it's like he was the poster child for that and he went on a series of intensifying expeditions um, where he'd go back to the UK and raise funding and then he'd go out on these monster expeditions for like months or years at a time with just a few native guys and himself and then finally on his final expedition he went out on his own um with his son and that was it and i think over a hundred people have actually died going looking for him because over the years it's become this myth now where it's like what happened to percy Fawcett?
0: they got him they must have.
1: Got him. <laughs> they must I, mean, a tree, I mean, honestly a tree could people say what's the most dangerous thing in the amazon it's a tree falling on you those trees fall all the time so either a tree fell on him he was finally shot by natives something happened but he didn't make it back and then over the years scores of people have gone looking for what happened to percy Fawcett, and so that's just that's he was a very charismatic and sort of the last of like those great you know forge out there and just and actually he was if i remember correctly he was actually like not someone that was oppressive to the local people like he would like get the local guys and go on expeditions with them and he was tougher than everybody so it doesn't matter where you were from there's there's one guy i think his name was murray i don't want to get it wrong Um, but there was one guy who had like been out with Shackleton with Ernest Shackleton. So he'd been on like other adventures Mm. and he went out with Fawcett in the Amazon. And like, after like a few days was like, absolutely fuck this. He's like, this is awful. Like, he's like, I'm used to sitting on a boat and charging through the Arctic. He's like, we are walking through the jungle and there are bot flies eating the mules that are carrying our food. That's rotten. And everyone's like dying of, you know, typhoid. And it's like miserable. And for some reason, Percy Fawcett was able to just keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, and just longer than everybody. He just had this constitution. He wouldn't, his mosquito bites wouldn't get infected. And it was like, he just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until one day he didn't come back. Fuck. Yeah. It was a crazy story.
0: That's a a good one. I wonder what they are. Like, we talk about the people who might be making shit up for their own gains and stuff. But another thing we can definitely talk about next time is like, Digging deeper into some of those civilizations and stuff, and and like to see if there actually is still some untapped things out there, like something <laughs> underground. I don't know. Well, I'll like, give
1: I'll give you this. I'll tell you this one if you want okay. to Okay Let's hear it. Um, I shouldn't say this one, but I'm going to. Um, the we love we, that we went up this river, and uh, the name the name I will not say. But we went up this river and we get to this really remote community, and uh, we're there, and the guys take us to this this one spot. And there's, you know, there's fossils and there's bits of pottery. They know, and so this is the thing: you travel for hundreds of miles through the through the Amazon. And there's nothing. The natives in this one spot, they're like, "Oh, we know where it is." They're like, "There's some stuff out there." And we were asking them, we were like, "So what is it? Was there like a camp?" And they're like, "This is like pre-Inca shit. <laughs> this is like old stuff, like from you know from the original people." Um, they had an axe head that was made of stone. There's no stones in our region. Because you're thinking, remember I said it was used to be an inland ocean. Oh yeah, so
0: there's no, no rocks and shit. There's yeah. no
1: rocks on our river. That you was can't wild you find to a me. rock. And then um and then and then they kind of smirked and they were like, so yeah, if you ever if you ever decide you want to if you ever decide you want to die, let's go see the pyramids. And we're like, What are you talking about, the pyramids? And they're like, Oh yeah. They're like out there about four hour walk. They're like there's two canopy level pyramids just under the jungle. They're like nobody knows about them, but they're like, We went there one time. They're like, we could take you there, and you didn't go. We couldn't go because the uncontacted tribes are in the region. If you go there, you will literally get shot by seven
0: foot arrows. Oh, that's the aliens! I'm telling you, that's the (laughs) fucking aliens. All right. So the
1: uncontacted people are guarding the alien communication devices that are under the jungle.
0: We're gonna leave off right there because that we're gonna talk off camera, and next time we're going deep on that. I'm getting a conspiracist in here with you. Something like we gotta figure that out. That's wild shit. But dude. This podcast was one of the harder ones I've ever done because there is so there's yeah. so much on the there's bone so much. at all so times. Yeah. The work you're doing is amazing, though, Appreciate and that, I'm so glad to give you the platform and, and to really like, I mean, it's educating me, so I'm hoping it's educating a lot of people listening to you talk. But for now, where can people donate to Jungle Keepers and where can they find you on social media? Uh, social media at Paul Rosalie,
1: junglekeepers.org. You can find the junglekeepers project on paulrosalie.com. We're going to be doing a concentrated effort, a big push to try and protect the rest of this river in the next 18 months, because what I saw the last few weeks, and I'm going to give you that footage. I'll let you blast out some of it for the first time, but that stuff is worse than I've seen in 17 years. So it's like, now we we got to hit this now. And it's like, I'm
0: committed to that. That's it. Cool. Well, every little bit helps. When people get five bucks, it's huge. It yep. goes, and we know exactly where it goes to. Yep. It goes right to you to basically be able to go to loggers and people on the ground there who aren't helping the environment and convert them and then yep. allow them to be funded to be able to carry around some weapons and go through yep. and keep converting it's the, people. the most
1: effective direct way to get money to the people on the indigenous people on the ground protecting
0: the Amazon rainforest. Perfect. All right, well, we will do it again. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. And thank you for being here. Much appreciated. Appreciate it, man. All right, everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought, get back to me. Peace.